The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Rodicat, and you can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at Newsnerds Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And the sound effects you've heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn. One, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? We're Brooklyn! We're Brooklyn! We're Brooklyn! I have still yet to see that Biggie documentary, but one of these days, one of these days. Too busy watching other craziness, but we'll get into that in a, in a few. We'll definitely get into that later. <laughs> uh, but you can find this here podcast in the meantime at uh, the Coast of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast at your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network SoundCloud page. Uh, you can also find us uh, here, you know, if you're probably already here, you already found us. But if you're listening later on in audio, you can find us live every Thursday night, uh, 9.30ish p.m., on either the YouTube channel of the Cold Slither, uh, excuse me, not the Cold Slither, of the The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation. That's the K L I Q N A T I O N. Or you can find us on uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles, all one word. Make sure to hit uh, like and click subscribe. Yes, missed. Okay, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, but yes, folks, we are here to talk comics. Um, and folks, we, um, well, we, we usually have a good show. Let's, let's be honest, but, you know, we got some decent stuff th- this week. Uh, no WandaVision this week, so, you know, we're... But we are uh, a mere hours away from the uh, premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right, so get ready for more super long deep dives into Marvel Cinematic Universe television hopefully, starting next week. Indeed. Hopefully not too long, because I realize these shows have been running uh, rather lengthily um, in the last few weeks. But, you know, hey, you know, we it, they work out one way or the other. So, right. I don't think we were prepared to do that much on the making of documentary, but it was pretty good. Actually, I didn't. I still hadn't watched that, and I, and oh, I totally no. intended to. Yeah. I still, Fair. I mean, I still had, can, but, you know. It's very, it? very good. Just out of curiosity. I'm sorry? How long was it? Oh, it was only an hour and change, I think. 
That sounds about right. So it's a good, it was a good-sized documentary, mm-hmm. especially for the making of a TV show. Right. Well, the making of a TV show that was done almost like a movie. So. Right. Right, right. I mean, that's 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 the other that's the other side of that coin. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, if, if folks out there have probably watched it already, then you know, good, great. Um, but yeah, but before we get into any any such things like that, uh, excuse me. Let us get into this week's comics. We're going to start off with Champions number five. Champions number five. It's the last issue. Uh, in the first arc of the book, it's written by Eve Ewing with art by Bob Quinn, uh, color art by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. As I mentioned, it's the it's the it's the last issue of the first arc of the book, which was interrupted by uh, the pandemic. Uh, this is one of the books that was uh, more severely impacted by the pandemic uh, in terms of its release. And we actually get a note from, I believe, Alana Smith, the editor of the book at the end. And uh, yeah, it, it's a and, and it's there because it only provides a cap to the first um, uh, arc of the book, but then also leads us into uh the next arc you know dealing with uh the the new story direction mm-hmm. yeah um so i guess we can say this is the last this is the officially the last uh issue from outlawed i guess because i don't know if uh that power pipe book still has Still has an issue or anything going on because I didn't get the sh- uh, chance to read that last issue of it. Um, well, in terms of technically, right? I mean, this and, is a- and, and 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 this is a, a a mild spoiler because it's so tough to deal with spoilers around Outlawed right. because of its release. But uh, I'll ring the spoiler bell here just in case someone really wants to stay spoiler free. In three, two, one. Uh, so in this issue, the champions finally come together. Viv Vision has found uh, her North Star, has found her direction, has figured out some things that she should have left to others to figure out. You know, uh, so leaving some decisions to be made by others as opposed to having made, as opposed to making a decision on behalf of others. Mm. And that's the crux of it. But the spoiler bell is really intended, was really intended to cover for the fact that the legislation behind the outlawed storyline technically is still in effect. Right. The It's enforcement and how it's enforced well, we'll see how that goes, and we'll see how that storyline is followed up on. But ultimately, what we have is, um, uh, I guess the 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 culmination of this arc, which de- which which, as I said, deals with the the team coming together and Viv Vision coming to the team and and bearing herself to them. Right, and in a sense. What the team does is figure out a, a, a new direction for themselves, while also revealing 
what Roxxon and come on, it's Roxxon. <laughs> what what else did Roxxon have up their sleeve but bad intentions, right? I was yeah. actually surprised about that part, but we'll get to that in a second. Right. I mean, that's you know, essentially the the champions are able to stage a breakout and uh, a reveal of Roxxon's intentions to the world, a very public reveal. And there are lots of ramifications that come from that. And um, at the end of the book, and I'll, uh, uh, and, and I'm, I'll uh, you know, leave the, the, the main parts of the book up for additional discussion. The end of the book has a short follow-up story that consists of one, two pages. Written by the new writer of the book, Danny Lore, and the new artist of the book, uh, Luciano Vecchio, with the same art, uh, color, and uh, lettering team of Federico Blee and VCs Clayton Cowles moving forward. But that uh, provides a little bit of a bridge into the follow-up arc right? Uh, uh, for, the, for the book. Which... Yeah, uh, given what we found out in this one, it kind of makes it well definitely makes some sense, and also, um, very very curious as to where it's going to go. Um, but I was going to circle back around to to mention the fact that um, you talked about Viv's, uh, you know, Viv uh, realizing that she should have made uh, decisions for others. It also kind of mirrors uh, another choice. A choice that one of the other uh, champions made early on in uh, in the in outlawed, meaning uh, Kamala, because you I don't know if you remember, but when I think they first went into hiding, she pretty much went out on TV. Um, and matter of fact, somebody called out one of the, one of them called it out on that too. Like she pretty much made it oh, called her went out on TV and pretty much made a declaration as Ms. Marvel and pretty much you know and uh, made a decision for the team that you know nobody else had gotten into before slightly different but it, it is also that but they didn't really mention that uh, uh anything about that part here as much no this is just what i was gonna what, what i was gonna say in response to that is i think that is their version of a team dynamic of teenagers mm-hmm. that you know there's a there, there's a, a certain impetuous a certain uh uh lack of formal communication and team um, structure at this point, you know, we, we don't, we, we don't necessarily have the history between these characters as we did say, um, a new teen Titans, because that's obviously the, the, the comparison that you can bring in here with, uh, uh, you know, several legacy heroes, uh, involved, uh, as the, as the core characters at the beginning. And now we've expanded to a larger roster, you know, I think of how, at least at at, at one point, they had a somewhat formal uh, uh, meeting structure, but I don't think it lasted all that long, if at all. My memory might be uh, faulty in that regard, but I don't think they've had a lot of, uh, you know, this is the social media generation. They probably communicate a lot by text. You know, outside of what we've already seen them communicating by text, uh, which is which is fairly often, so right. um, they probably don't have by text. Uh, formal meetings, right? Nearly as much as you know, in order to like um, to uh, to do uh, uh, public statements and whatnot. So true, true, true. 
They're uh, young. They're you know this is part of the team dy- dynamic. Yeah. So. And yeah, and I don't know if uh, if going forward, that's probably you know whether that's going to solidify, um, or they're going to just keep kind of doing what they're doing. We'll see what the new creative team kind of comes about. Uh, but there was something else that I was actually going to mention outside of oh the whole Roxxon thing. So which goes back to uh, the beginning of this volume, not this volume, uh, the the last volume. Be where, um, excuse me, actually, I didn't, you know, I don't think about it. Okay, um, but regardless, it goes back to the first issue, and I can't remember if it was this, this volume or the last volume. I want to say it's the last volume because they've been kind of uh clipping uh champions, as it were. Um, like, but this is pretty much goes back to something at the before the start of um, uh, or at the start of, of Outlawed. Which was interesting because, like I said, I totally had forgotten about that part. So, therefore, coming into it to find out that Roxanne had any kind of involvement in it was like, oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they, you know? Right, right. Of course they're up to no good. Right. Not only that, but, you know, it was was because it was basically, you know, their involvement in what was going on was the reason all of this uh, went, you know, all of this happened. And also, obviously, calling towards um business into inter invention into government affairs as it were um right or at least um oh no i did that that definitely and 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 we also get some um uh some 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 side effects uh side effects of uh of government uh or, or at least of businesses um uh, wag the dog, right? In this case, that's the you know that's that that, that that's a, that's a that's a, a a big part of how the story ends, and a big kind of a big reason why the two page story at the end of the book leads in the direction that it does. Mm-hmm. Which, like I said, we will see how that plays uh out when the new creative team comes on next issue i was gonna oh go ahead no i was just gonna say that um you know i i have in i've said this before also but uh, i've I've enjoyed uh eve ewing's writing and the 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 creative team on it so far and i you know um you know and i kind of hope to to see eve ewing doing some more stuff uh coming down the line uh not related to al ewing as we have said before just to just to kind of Make that clear again, but right. um, she's on. Is she? She still has Children of the Atom, no? She has what? Or that's somebody else? Children of the Atom. That's uh, no, that's Vida Alaya. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was about to say it's the short names that that drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. The short names. I think um, she does have like a. She might have like a one shot because she she's probably has something come down the line. We just don't know. Obviously, solicits for July hadn't come out yet, and I don't remember it. There anything in the next you know in the solicits that we have out by now, um, bearing in that out. But you know, like I said, I'm pretty sure we have not seen the, the last of uh, e viewing. So, and at least I'm hoping, definitely hoping not. Uh, but that's pretty much it. The only other thing I was gonna say about this issue was that before we move on, like Riri's mom continues to be a real one, and uh, she kind of mentioned something about a, a 
a parents of teen superheroes support group, which I can't imagine that not being brought up somewhere uh, at the, at some point. So that would be a, a curious one to see, or even if mentioned at some point. It makes sense, one, given the current climate around therapy and support being Ooh. a lot stronger than it once was. And it's a concept that's already been mined over in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. Exactly. I was going to mention that, but yeah. So that's so that's kind of cool. Uh, that being said, though, unless you got something I just, else. I just wanted to make, yeah, I just I wanted to make one quick point. It almost felt when I was reading this like it was wrapped up a little bit too quickly and a little yeah. bit too cleanly. Yeah. But then you have to remember that this is the fifth issue of this arc. And it's been so disjointed because of the pandemic that it definitely felt like I needed to rearrange how everything happened in my brain. Mm -hmm. Because, it, you know, we, we, we got, what was it, one issue during the pandemic? Yeah. The height of the shutdown, that is, mm -hmm. since we are still in the middle of the pandemic, please don't take what I said to mean that we are done with the pandemic. We are still in it, but at the height of the lockdown, we literally got the release of Champions right. when things are all shut down. So, um, And I think they had just started getting books back out to comic book stores when Champions 1 came out, so... Let's see. Was, was it, it right right before we went into lockdown? Yeah, because I know we definitely got issue one of Champions and and or maybe that outlawed issue or the outlawed number that's, one. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. The outlaw the outlawed uh, one shot. Yeah, it was one of those or both of those came out like before and then we started getting the rest of Champions. Right, uh, I believe that's correct because yeah. I I want I, I I was hesitant to say we had two issues of it, but then I forgot there was that one shot. Right. So that makes a lot that makes more sense in my memory now mm. because um it did seem in fact like we had you know, that this was a little rush, but we had in essence six issues, including the one shot. Right. But to resolve still, this opening arc. Right. But I still get what you're saying about that because it still does, even with that. But at the same time it's like, yeah, it it was you know, because one is at the end of a, a a relatively natural arc in comic books anyway, they were going to do something or, well, could have had one more issue, you know, um, right. To, to it's like, how long do you want to give, how much time do you want to give to the breakout? That's really what it came down to. Right. And if it did also feel like they, they addressed some of the issues in the breakout fairly well too. They had characters who asked, Hey, are you here to rescue just the champions or the rest of us? Because uh, there, there was there was one character. It's uh, I'm not sure which character that is. Yeah, I don't but, know who that was either. Uh, but it could be just some unnamed teen hero at this point. Because um, if there's one thing that um, uh, Bob Quinn's art, because of the lockdown, because of the uh, the, I hesitate to call them prison uniforms, but that's almost what they are. That's essentially what they are. Um, uh, it was a little hard to 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 pick out a bombshell. Mm -hmm. Could not figure out who that was to save my life until someone mentioned who that was. So, um, 
you know, because because of that, it was hard to kind of figure out if that was supposed to be someone we're supposed to recognize that. What, what I'm referring to and who Roddy Cat and I were referring to are this is this one character who uh, who asks, are you here to get us all out or just the rest of the champions? And it turns out they're just there to bust everyone out of the uh, out of lockdown. So, right. Yeah. Then that was definitely not. Yeah, that was definitely a different character uh, from. Yeah, whether that character shows up again or whether we supposedly know who that was is, is not quite sure. But yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, but but in any event, I think uh, we're 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 done with this issue. Mm. But it was nice to see this arc finally reach, like you said, kind of a natural end, and we will see what whole what 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 a new artist and a new writer have in store for this uh, team going forward. And Champions, I still think, is a criminally underread, underappreciated book. So if you're out there, if you're out there and you're looking for something new to jump on uh, that kind of touches upon the zeitgeist of today, Champions, I think, is one of those books. Yeah, it's also one of those books that I, I've probably said this probably when this first, uh, when Outlaw first started. I do wish this book wasn't so tied into an event. And I do wish they were allowed to have... Like, granted, I mean, this is... Uh, we don't know how long this is going to go. And they've had little longer arcs in in, in, in past uh, volumes. But sometimes either an event kind of uh, interrupts it or they just cancel the book for whatever other reason to restart it again at the start of a, um, at the start of an event, which is kind of annoying. I was about to say, Outlaw is kind of a weird event because it's yeah. their event. True. Um, it's not a line-wide event, and their corner of the universe is pretty small. Mm, uh, still. Although Outlawed, but the events of Outlawed did trickle out into the rest of uh, uh, the, the Marvel Universe in general. Just, right. just you know, just at, uh, for uh, just just to get a quick mention of Cradle out in there uh, in, in several books. But um, it did seem like uh, Outlawed was a fairly contained event. I think they're lucky that they never had to touch King and Black. We'll see if that lasts. You know that is, you know what? And yeah, that is that is pretty interesting, actually. And I guess because of because it was thought that uh, c- coming out of this, we thought some of the stuff got kind of uh, rearranged because of King and Black, which there are a lot of books that had, right? Um, and and on another event that had so. Um, we was thinking that that could have been the case, but yeah, I guess through Neurad um, Outlaw, that did not happen. Like, I know even with Miles' book, um, that just touched on King and Black uh, within with the last episode, last uh, issue, so yeah, who's to say if, whether they're gonna at the very least, because um, I would imagine what, King and Black is pretty much over at this point? I'm not sure. And it is almost over. It should be done by the end of this month because uh, April brings a new set of uh, stories, stories setting up the next big event, which is Heroes Reborn. Yeah. So, and there you go. And that's another one that champ. We do know champions are going to get going to get affected by because of uh, because of some things we have already found out about. But we'll see. You know, no, I think. Th- see, uh, what's funny is that before we move on to the next book, it sounds like we're just dealing with uh, crossover issues. What What I think is cool is that 
it's obviously a, a bit of a money grab because they're just putting out additional one shots, but mm. it seems like any effects on the main books are going to be limited to maybe Avengers because that's where the event is kind of emanating from. True, but Champion but, is kind of related to Avengers in a way. Oh, but what I was going to say is we'll see. We, 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 we'll see how um, the solicits bear out. But my suspicion is that uh, they're going to let the vast majority of books play out the way they normally would, but have one shots that show how the characters really cross over into King and Black, uh, Heroes Reborn. Reborn. But that, that's obviously not the case with every book. I know there's got to be just like in King and Black, there's some direct tie-ins like Sword this week, for example, had a two issue tie-in with King and Black. Mm hmm. Uh, we didn't get to Sword. It's actually not on our list of books we're going to talk about this week. But I know that uh, the second crossover issue of um, Sword into King and Black came out this week. Right. Uh, that's one of uh, a few books that have had two issues crossover into King and Black, like Daredevil. Like Fantastic Four actually is going to have two issues right. cross into King and Black. So... My hope is that Heroes Reborn doesn't have too many books that have uh, actual crossover issues and that they just sort of keep it in the um, the realm of contained one-shots. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, oh, yeah, but the only things I say about the Champions things is that, yeah, if they do touch on King of Black, it'll probably be like, I, I would assume at this point, it'll probably be like a reference to, yeah, like, yeah all that stuff happened. Or at the very least, somehow catching it up to to that in some kind of way that doesn't necessarily, well, well, no, because some of that's been taken care of in other books. So I wouldn't imagine the Champions doesn't have to have a direct tie because obviously we know Kamala's involved and and Miles is involved in King of Black. So, but uh, that being the case, we will move on to I think the other book that we both read this week is Iron Man number seven, correct? Yes, Iron Man number seven. It's written by Chris Cantwell with art by Cafu, uh, colors by Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Joe Catamania. And uh, the one thing I will uh, throw in before Roddy Cat takes on the uh, sum of the book. The summation of the book, really. The review of the book is that the cover actually happens in the book. <laughs> it's something that Roddy Cat uh, mentioned over the course of time, and I jumped in and said, yeah, that's something we need to bring up. The cover actually does happen in this book. Maybe not the actual welding that we see in this Alex Ross cover, but very close. Indeed. Indeed. Um... Hmm. Wait. Uh, yeah, but so yeah, that that yeah, that definitely being said, because yeah, that's that's that is something we used to bring up a little bit more than <laughs> than uh, than we have. Uh, than we have. Oh, it's like Marvel's listening, right? Yeah, right. Uh, mm. I was trying to look up something real quick, but but that's that's fine. So. Yeah, this is basically um, uh, Tony and his new team who may or may not have been christened with a new name during the course of this, thanks to uh, uh, 
what was his name? Not Toad. Um, Frogman. No, I was about to say there's two. There's two names given to this team. I know, but I think well, right. I, the first well, one was an insult to the original team. Let's be honest. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the second one is Frogman. So okay, so uh, and I was about to say we are. We're, I hate. I I almost wanted to say we're insulting Toad with that one, but yeah, it's Frogman. Yeah. So actually, I want, and I wanted to bring up that first. I think one. you said Frogman, right? I said I did say I said Toad, and then I said Frogman. Yeah. Okay, I was about to say. What's funny is that that actually harkens back to one of the earliest appearances of Frogman, where Toad, Frogman, and Spider Boy were fighting to be Spidey's uh, um, sidekick. I will refer Roddy Cat to that specific issue when I have a chance. Maybe I'll just look it up while he goes into the sum. Go, go ahead. Sure. So on that first uh, name uh, that was given, uh, I thought it was a, a Star Comics book, uh, but also, but they also say that is definitely a reference to Star Wars. It's too close to Star Wars, and it is a reference to Star Wars. In fact, the Star Wars comic book. Uh, right. Well, actually, uh, d- d- not well. Technically, because basically, um, from what I'm seeing here, it's like Star Warriors was the the protagonist, the name, the term for the protagonist of the original trilogy series, uh, used primarily in the comic, the Marvel Comics book. So, and the name was only used by the narrator in captions or on the issue's cover. So there was that, but I could have sworn there was like a Star Comics book called Star uh, Star Warriors that. Uh, this that was a reference from, but I don't see that here anywhere. That being said, though, uh, so we we get into this issue. Uh, we see Tony and Chint team uh, chasing down Korvac, and uh, and his team trying to go to Tatu to get some uh, to uh, steal some power, steal a cup of power from uh, from Galactus, and uh, yeah, this is pretty much now we're you know. Iron Man in space, aka Star Wars, aka Top Gun in space, as this whole issue pretty much um, gets into a space battle after some, actually almost Rathacon like. Now that I think about it, because um, Tony figures that he could, uh, he figures out a way to communicate with um, with uh, Korvac, which causes Korvac to pretty much turn around and chase him uh not unlike uh the con of note and they right. get into a space battle uh and something happens to one of the crew uh namely the person that I just mentioned while the other folks are in this fight um there's also a uh discussion that honestly kind of put me back to uh WandaVision uh and a certain meme in one division that came later on because there was a discussion on, uh, on what or who God is while the, you know, in the, in the early parts of this. So obviously you can kind of make a, a certain meme. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Out of that. But, and shout out to Isaac Christians, the, uh, gargoyle on that one. Right. Exactly. You know, come drop it in the, as, as a, as a frogman says, or yeah, uh, <laughs> with the mic drop. Um, but yeah, so, but, but the basic crux of this issue is there, there's a, um, you know, they, they're going after, uh, Korvac, uh, they, they, 
they chase him down. There's there's uh, the whole God Talk thing, but there's also just a space battle where, you know, I could almost see at one part the dude, uh, that new dude that um, whose name I, I just totally forgot just then, uh, when Rhodey told him to, to gun it. I just imagine a, a Fast and Furious style shifting the shifter into gear in a drift. <laughs> right. That that could have happened after that point, but that's a missed opportunity, which is fine. So, um, but that's that's pretty much the crux of this issue, and um, we see Tony in a different, an actual different place than the rest of the crew while this is going on at the end of this book. Um, and I don't know if we are made to know these people that show up, but I don't think so. So. I don't know if you have anything else to, to go off. Oh, you mean at the end? Yeah, at the end. Oh, uh, it, did it ring any bells to you? No. I I fought really hard with my jumbled comic book memory when I read this to try to figure it out. I did not want to go to the internet and see if anyone had tried to crack this yet. Right. And it or could be possible that new story brand new. What's that? It could be possible that this is a brand new, brand new a group of people that we have not seen before. We're just overthinking it. Right. But at the end of the day, I didn't go to investigate whether or not like uh, (laughs) our esteemed, I call them our esteemed colleagues in comic book uh, reporting. The main comic book websites often post uh, articles on reveals a little bit too early for my taste. Agreed. Agreed. So, but the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man issue I was referring to is Amazing Spider-Man 266. I was actually under the mistaken impression it was an issue of Peter Parker Spectacular. Mm-hmm. But it's actually Amazing Spider-Man 266. And uh, I remember this issue fondly as a kid. It was just so silly. It was in the Black, Spider-Man, Black uh, Spider-Man costume era. So wait, was it? If I remember the color, uh, the cover was it, it was Black Suit Spider Man. It was kind of holding the two. Correct. Yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, and I. Frogman and Toad. Mm-hmm. It was such a silly book. Yep. As I'm looking at the, yeah, I do remember this. I I remember actually reading this actually. So and yeah, that that very much was without actually revisiting. <laughs> I recall it being a quite silly issue. So, but yeah, for but for those of you who want that little bit of um, uh, that little nugget, you can go check that out. Um, if you so in, so wish to. That being said, though, um, I think we've pretty much rung out uh, Iron Man Seven. I think so, and this is where we diverged this week because uh, after these two books, we had read vastly different. We went in, in vastly different directions in right. terms of our reading choices. So, oh wait, uh, there was actually there was one more thing because at the very, very beginning of the book, there was a uh, an up, we get to see uh, a power upgrade from, or we get to see basically uh, both Iron Man and, and War Machine, aka Rhodey, get uh, get upgrades, and and them talking while that's happening. So, I was about to say what I was hoping for is an explanation as to why the War Machine armor looks like it does in the movies, but. You know, you know we're not gonna. Yeah, the, the, it was an artist. It was an artist choice. We know that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There was probably no specific reason outside of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. 
So anyway, um, but what were you saying? Yeah, we do have uh, different books. So if you got one you want to go ahead and um, talk about, go for us. Uh, you know what? There's one book out this week okay. that most of our fans will know I read first. I absolutely jumped right into this book mm-hmm. because I am an ardent fan and a follower of what is what has been happening and that is Black Knight. No, I'm kidding. Not the Black Knight book this week. But instead, it's Thor number 13. Okay. And it's written by Donny Cates with art by Nick Klein, uh, color arts by color art by Matt Wilson, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And this is issue 5 of the 6 issue story arc titled Prey and this is this has been the reintroduction of Donald Blake into the Marvel Universe and it has been an incredible story arc it has involved lots of intense action and in this issue some serious soul searching some serious intervention we get a little bit of insight into what has happened to Odin since he has granted the Odin power upon Thor and given up the throne of Asgard, where he's been, uh, who he was with at least initially, and what is teasing some, what developments uh, have happened and what is possibly being teased. Um, There is a panel that makes it look like no two panels really that makes it look like uh, uh, Odin and Freya were in therapy, which made me laugh. And it's right. It's, it's right out of the gate. It's nothing too involved, but if Rydicat has a chance to flip through it, he'll see it's right at the beginning. But as is typical of many as guardian stories, um, the Asgardian gods, when, they get down on uh, get down in the dumps. They drown their sorrows in alcohol. Interestingly, it's implied that this is probably not mead, but it may be mead. It's not exactly being served in the halls of Asgard. But he's drowning himself uh, in his sorrows where uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie has gone to find him and kind of snap him out of this because essentially this entire mess involving Donald Blake started with him. We get some great cameo appearances to try to get things in motion to uh, lead us into the last issue of the story arc to try to get some resolution, hopefully. So there is... A bit of, I don't want to say rush, because I think the net, the developments have been natural in this over the last several issues, last two issues specifically, moving in this direction, getting the plea. It's, uh, it's really where the last, let's say, one to two issues have put several pieces into play and all those pieces decided to move roughly at the same time in this issue. So uh, we have... Uh, Throg, we have Lockjaw, we have a little bit of Loki and throw in some Doctor Strange to boot. We have um, 
the uh, kind of solution to a law uh, to a relatively long-standing problem uh, that's act you know that's uh, you know part of the core of this story arc, but we have the uh, lead up to a great cliffhanger confrontation at the end of this issue when I read it, I thought to myself, you know what? I almost thought of that. And that that's the best thing because in my mind, I thought, uh, well, this is a possibility. And of course, I should have gone with the more obvious possibility. And... Uh, but it still, it, it still goes, you know, it, it still plays out very well. It's executed very well. Mm. Um, the art, while I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Nick Klein's, um, uh, kind of, uh, uh, facial expressions, I think that art is appropriately epic and, uh, I really love Kate's, um, Kate's story here, and I like that you know his his influences obviously are very strong. Uh, this is a great uh, uh, new story arc uh, and a great new addition into you know one of the the really cool Thor stories. You know, you know, especially dealing with a long, uh, I don't want to say buried, but a long dormant. Uh, story piece uh, a character long dormant character really because it's you know it's not just that uh donald blake was a a, a dormant character but it's also um uh a, a dormant uh part of thor's story that is brought back into play and i think that has been uh, one of the uh, the better developments of Kate's run. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of the the, the Herald of Galactus part, mm-hmm. but this has been this has been very very good. Gotcha. Would you say that this gets to the Thor core of the matter? Not necessarily, but I love the fact that Throg plays a great role in this. Nice. Wookie. Sounds like a plan. I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I did say I was going to try to catch up with this arc because you've been talking glowingly about it since, this, well, this volume, rather, since uh, since this volume started. Right. Um, I mean, if you haven't started it yet, uh, you know, we're getting a little deep into um, uh, trying to catch up. Mm. I would actually tell you, if you really wanted to get up to date, you could just read uh, the prey issues here. So going back to like issue uh, nine mm-hmm. or eight, when uh, no, issue eight, when this prey when this prey uh, arc starts, you could start there. You don't necessarily need to read the Galactus stuff to understand what's going on here. Sure. So if you really wanted to just jump past that. I don't necessarily blame you one and two. Um, I think it's far more entertaining to just get to this arc. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that being said, then I am going to throw out a book real quick and then we can go to rapid fire. Um, Spider Woman number 10. Uh, creative team of writer Carla Pacheco. Uh, Artist Perry Perez, 
and I spelled that wrong. Um, color artist Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So, uh, this pretty much brings home uh, this arc of this the, the story. Uh, the first arc of the... Well, not the first arc of the story, but it pretty much brings, culminates it, I, the end of everything that's uh, culminated since uh, issue one of this. So, it's basically a big fight again with between Jess and Octavia, who was had been both the, a bad guy and also some slight bit of help in the last, uh, last part of last couple of issues. But, uh, but then this is, it's pretty much them two against each other again, uh, for, I guess, seemingly the last time as, as it looks like in this, uh, we end up seeing Jess, uh, Jess's, the original reason why Jess was doing all of this gets settled. And I, I guess, uh, I don't know. I know you fell off of this book, agent 70, uh, right. but I don't know if whether you were going to maybe check this out. Uh, I skimmed this just to see how it plays out because I know that there is going to be a new direction after this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so, so that's pretty much that. And the whole thing that started this whole thing off has been uh, resolved at the end of this book with a little help from the high evolutionary who uh, Jess was looking for at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this volume. Um, and seemingly possibly we still don't know because there was a little blurb in there about, well, some things, you know, her, uh, Jess was basically trying to do this to cure herself and her kid, and it sounds like that only time will tell whether you know whether anything is going to happen to the kids as such, which pretty much could say that hey, you know they could somebody could gin up something that might uh, harken back to this and say like yeah, well, while it was cured, this was a side effect, and the kid's going to have some other powers outside of the one he's already has or something or other. Who's, who's how that's going to go? Um. But after this all over, we get Jess going on her apology tour, as we see, you know, uh, going around to everybody she's pretty much either messed with, hurt, or, you know, um, messed around during the course of this, the, this whole, the last 10 issues. Uh, and last one being, of course, her bestie, Car- one Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, um, which is, I guess, also weird because I know she has a book coming out with, with, with that's the thing you're talking about, and I don't know if Jess was in here, and I know that none of this probably will play out there, even if that was the case. But um, you know, their their relationship has always been kind of interesting and sometimes messy, uh, especially in the last few years. Specifically, what I was going to say, they benefit from the fact that both of both of them have uh, an increased. Uh, ex- have uh, increased levels of exposure and now um, are able to play off each other in uh, in their own books, respectively. Right. And both have some, on the very outside of that, convoluted histories. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. More so Spider-Woman, uh, but definitely convoluted on both sides. Carol's guy got messed up, messed around on a few different cases when it with, you know... Which actually, I wonder if it's something with the mantle of Captain Marvel that kind of happens. Because outside the original Captain Marvel, both of the ones that we know previously as Captain, well, the current Captain Marvel being Carol and... Oh, so it's all three. 
All um, three since Marvel. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I guess yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Since Marvel has pretty, much pretty convoluted stories. Yeah, and uh, and multiple names. We're talking about Genesville also. So you yeah, know, Genesville, I, I, I didn't think Monica, Genesville. and uh, and Carol. Yeah, but also come from go, going through multiple name changes. Right. Uh, that's part of the convoluted story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had one question before sure. we move on. Before we move on, and it's kind of spoiler territory. So, spoiler bell, spoiler bell, spoiler bell. Minor spoilers. Sure. What happens to uh, <laughs> Jessica's uh, sister or half sister, or what is it? Her cousin? No, it's her niece. That is. So, um, it's her niece, right? It's her, her it's her, yes, it's, she has a missing out. brother. Spoiler alert! I, I kind of phantomly rang the spoiler bell because oh. there's a lot revealed in this arc. There uh, was, this, and that was early on, right? In this arc that involves uh, Spider Woman's new costume, we get um, the reveal that uh, Jessica has a long lost brother that she didn't know about or doesn't, didn't remember that is. Right. And, um, now she has a niece that she, uh, had no, no clue about. Right. Whatever happened right. to her. So I didn't necessarily see that when I skimmed it. That's why. Right. I, I'm so asking. they basically said that because of, um, because of the cure that Jessica gets and uh, what can be administered to her son, presum- presumably it could also help, because it was even mentioned like, yeah, what about, what, uh, you know, what about my son? What about, you know, uh, this girl whose name I was saying? Basically saying like, yeah, we don't, that, th- which got, kind of goes back to what I was just saying, is like, he high-relationship basically says that, yeah, uh, he pretty much thinks it's going to work, but there's no telling whether there's going to be any long-term effects or any, any effects that come out like later on. So they're basically cured, but there could potentially be something that happens later on. Got it. To either one of them. And the way this, this whatever was going on with Jessica works, it kind of affects the, the women of the family more so than the men. So her son was less affected, even though he was affected, but less so than this niece. Got uh, it. That we've come to find out. So Who's to say that we're, you know, and we already know the son's already got power. So that's, that's, you know, that's, is what it is. But Denise may come back later on and end up being a new spider person or something. We don't know. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so yeah, but they, they basically was like, yeah, it's supposedly, it's supposed to help, but we don't know if there's anything long term that happened. Um, there was also an appearance of Jeff the Land Shark, which I know a lot of people don't know of, but if you've read the last volume of West Coast Adventures with uh, Kate Bishop in them, um, you will know who that character is. Also, it only comes up as a reference in, in a toy form and not necessarily actual forms, but that was still kind of funny to see. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's pretty much nicely, neatly wrapped up. And, you know, like I said, at, at the end of this, we see uh, Carol and Jess talking, you know, trying to mend fences uh, because, you know, it was a lot. And, they, you know, recognition of their their whole friendship uh, was kind of put out there also. So, but they came out seemingly going for a better start from here. We'll see if that plays out because who knows? People tend to write people. <laughs> a certain way with one point and then you know somebody else will come along and just totally differently as I'm hoping you're going to explain something with with Captain Marvel because I just saw something in an article um, that 
I don't know. I can't remember if it happens in this issue or is going to happen. It's in, in this issue. Episode. Okay. You may may or may not know what I'm talking about then. Yep. <laughs> about a certain relationship. Um, it's true. And I'll get to it. Yeah, but that being the case, that's pretty much Spider Woman number ten for this week. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was a pretty good read, and like I said, it, it uh, wrapped up things nice and uh, nicely and neatly. And it was also slightly touching at the end with uh, Jess and Carol talking. That being said, we can go on to uh, rapid fire. All righty, firing it up right now. Right, watch those comic book shows, everybody. It's rapid fire. <laughs> Still got to come up with the sound effect that, uh, you know, fire or something like that. Something, you know, something along those lines. Mm. But yeah, uh, Jectocito is taken. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah, we we really went in different directions once our uh, our, uh, our our books in common. Um, ran out so i guess we almost had one more book in common because i if i didn't get the the if i almost got to the the, your first one on your list but i didn't get a chance to Mm -hmm. because i still need to read the first issue gotcha all right uh let me start with king and black spider-man number one i actually have another book i wanted to add to my list because i did get x-force number 18 uh in this week um and i will uh, cover that, but let me start with uh, King and Black Spider-Man number one. It's written by Jed McKay with pencils in the main story by Michelle Bandini, uh, inks by Michelle Bandini and Elisabetta D'Amico, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It's essentially the same group on the small backup story, but with art by Alberto Albuquerque. Um, We've reported in the recent past that uh, Marvel is going to be making a push with a certain character, a certain youth character who has been around. It's not his first appearance. It's not um, anything. uh, It's not a a new character or anything. The character has been around, was introduced a while ago, was in Avengers Academy, uh, made its way into Avengers Arena. Um, But uh, the character I'm referring to is Reptile. And Reptile makes an appearance here as a a star guest player in the Spider-Man King in Black one-shot. And that's essentially the crux of the story. Uh, Spidey has a weird little, um, you know, there's a little bit of a story um, uh, point here that's made by Jed McKay that doesn't necessarily wash, although I can't remember if... It's been made clear that the symbiotes have been on Earth for a while. That's that's been part of the Venom storyline, mm-hmm. but Spidey seems to still be under the mistaken impression that a lot of this stuff is his fault because he brought the Venom symbiote to Earth, but symbiotes had already made their way to Earth previously, mm-hmm. you know, as as revealed in the pages of Venom. But that be, that being a minor nitpick. Um, it's a, it's the, uh, impetus for this story. And, uh, what we get is Reptile partially giving, oh, they, they, they give each other a little bit of support. 
during the King and Black crisis, and that's really what it boils down to. But it's also a big push for Reptile moving into the future. Right. So it makes sense that they would give him um, a, a, a major guest role, a major guest appearance in the King and Black Spider-Man one-shot as a way of, as a means of gaining more attention uh, in uh, preparation or as, a, as, as part of, not even in preparation of, but as part of Marvel's push to make Reptile a thing, to make him a more prominent character. Mm-hmm. Which I was going to, yeah, I was going to mention that real quick, and and the fact that they're they're definitely doing that. But I'm like, did it actually have to happen in King and Black? But I guess if they were going to do it, I guess this would probably be a better place than not. Right, right, and you know, we've been we we've been uh, sometimes critical, sometimes not, of how Marvel uses these big events as a launching point for new characters. Right, and it you know it, it's it's just another uh, this is just another in the late uh, another or at least the latest in a long line of character pushes that come out of events. Like Black Knight, again. Right. Um, (laughs) But also, I was going to say real quick that, uh, you know, you were talking about uh, Spider-Man taking, you know, thinking it's his fault. You know, that's a pretty Spider-Man thing. (laughs) Right. No, and and, and I think for the most part, that was, you know, that that, that was like a long-standing plot point. Right. For the most part, that was a long-standing plot point, but I think he uh, was let in on the big secret that he actually isn't. It, it isn't all his fault. He probably plays some role, obviously, because he does bring the actual Venom symbiote to Earth. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he was the. Fir- it's not like that was the first symbiote that made it to Earth. The first symbiote from Clintar, that is, you right. know. So. But um, but in any event, next up is um, I'll jump into it. X Force number eighteen, written by Benjamin Percy, art by uh, Gary Brown, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by the uh, always present VCs Joe Caramagna. So we follow up on. Uh, last issue's uh, fashion redo of one Quentin Choir. And we see that there has been, and, you know, and, and it was hinted at and much more strongly established here in this issue that uh, the many deaths of Quentin Choir has played a role, have played a role in the, the, the current story and, and what's, what's happening now. And that Zeno group, uh, X-E-N-O, Zeno um, group has been making use of the many deaths of so, uh, and, and some of the technology that the mutants have been um, promulgating as a result of their expansion into Krakoa. Um, and uh, well, just as part of their overall scheme to uh, give people powers using um, live biological technology, I don't know if you uh, if you're up to date on X Force at all. Yeah, yeah. So I just had I just had read this one, but yes, I do remember that. 
so so I'm not necessarily spoiling too much for Roddy Cat, but I'm you can kind of see the the edges I'm kind of skirting around. But in this issue, what we find is that Zeno seems to have made use of Quentin Quire's seemingly numerous deaths that have happened over the course of this book. And I'll leave it at that. Hmm. And yeah, they're also trying to make uh, once again trying to make. I mean, I haven't read this issue yet, but I know because of his um, his new uh, his new outfit, they're trying to, I guess, reinvent uh, Quentin Quire in a sense. Maybe trying to make him grow up a little. I don't know. As, as I do, remember. I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything. So, in any event, uh, next up for me is I'm backtracking here. Uh, Captain Marvel number 27 It's written by Kelly Thompson With art by David Lopez Colors by Triona Farrell Or Farrell And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles So We don't get what happens in well, What happens on the cover Right? We actually don't But what's what's on the cover is Um Definitely a theme that is carried forward into um, this issue, which is um, as a result of the opening arc of this latest uh, volume. Actually, no, uh, it's not an opening arc, but the most the, the, the most recent arc in Captain Marvel, because we are on issue 27. And forgive me for losing track of how long this particular arc has been running, um, because it feels like... Um, the, the the most recent arc kind of blended into the first arc in this book, which is more uh, uh, shunting Carol into another reality. In the in the most recent arc, it was in the in the first arc, it was shunting them into a, a reality of um, that was uh, over uh, Roosevelt Island in New York, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, uh, by 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 a certain villain, and in this case, she was shunted into a possible uh, uh, random future that had lots of uh, you know, kind of well, definitely dystopian, but definitely some particular issues that 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 happen uh, in her that that could happen in her life in her possible future that causes her to come back and. Um, Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, if you're not up to date on Captain Marvel. But she breaks up with uh, James Rhodey Rhodes because of what happens in uh, the future. And possibly looking to um, to, uh, to 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 get something that she sees in a possible future to actually happen. Because she deems it to be in uh, Rhodey's best interest. Obviously, this isn't how Rhodey sees things in the current, you know, in the, in the present day. But um, this issue is all about uh, kind of breaking Carol out of the funk that she falls into after uh, cutting things off, breaking things off with Rhodey. And uh, none other than uh, Jessica Drew, the aforementioned Spider-Woman, is at the lead of trying to get things moving forward, and it all goes badly. But it's a very modern... It is a very, very modern um, intervention that Jessica uh, performs on um, on Carol. It's very much a girlfriend to girlfriend thing. Um, what I love about this is that this is 
a story that almost has to be told by, you know, um, it has its 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 uh, its nuances from a female perspective. And what's cool is that, you know, it is a female writer. And there are lots of things in this that could be butchered if it was, in fact, a male writer trying to write from the female character's perspective. That could be. Not saying that it, that it's impossible that it could be uh, done well. But in this case, um, I think that Kelly Thompson portrays this particular emotional character arc pretty well for Carol. And what Roddicat was mentioning earlier without spoiling anything actually does happen at the end of this issue and leads us into a direction that has been teased in solicitations. And we were trying to figure out how that happens. We figure out that this is the road that the character goes down to get to that point. Right. And I believe we may have a new story on that front. Uh, uh, when we get to that point. So, yeah, so it's interesting to me. I haven't been keeping up on Captain Marvel, but, you know, outside of through Agent 70 talking about this, but I do know, I do recognize a little bit about her relationship with Rhodey, which was also kind of an off, well, it kind of came from out of nowhere. One, back in the pages of, I want to say, Kelly Sue DeConnick's uh, initial run, or somewhere therein. Uh, right. It's one of those. Yeah, it was one of those things that kind of made sense because they're both Air Force. Right. But also, like, when did this have? It was also kind of a matter of fact. I do remember even then, like, when did this? When would this even have happened? Like, yeah, they're both military and they're both and they're both Air Force. And well, I was specifically like, Air Force. Yeah, specifically Air Force. Right. But I was like, well, wait, when did they even? You know, when would they even have? had met or when does this happen but we never actually get that as far as i know uh, ever anywhere so that was always so always a big thing but as right. also even then they were they always mentioned it was like on and on again and off again of sort so right. and, and part of it is also carol's convoluted history which we referred to earlier right. this character has been around forever so it's hard to kind of figure out you know where they are in the rubber band marvel timeline so, right. but chances are this probably so, something that came on later, you know, in that say, early in. I said chances are it's probably something that came later and not earlier. But it's it's, it's a very good chance that they could admit, obviously, you know, uh, right, early on. Right. And yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Start, maybe not starting a romantic relationship that early, but at least crossing paths, right? You know, because uh, when we were uh, introduced to James Rhodes. I don't think Carol was around in the pages of Avengers at that point. I think she had already been taken away by Marcus, if I'm not mistaken. That seems possibly true, yes. So that being said, it's like it's, it's kind of interesting that they were in a relationship this long. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that they've been in a relationship for this long. One, um, you know, and, and two, you know, the fact that they chose to go ahead and get rid of it when it was never been played up as a big thing. Right. Uh, during the, in the course of these last, what, dang, Captain Marvel's been, uh, been Captain Marvel, what, about almost 10 years now, almost, I guess? I don't, I'm not I sure, I can't remember. It's been a, I don't think so. Wait, was it 20, 20, 20, 
I don't remember, but it's been it's been, it's been a while since she's since she's been Captain Marvel, basically. Um, regardless, and that whole thing even got brought up as a thing. Um. So, regardless, like I said, that part right there was like, huh, that's interesting that they do that. But I guess as a as a point to get her from one place to another, I guess it is a thing that had to happen, I suppose. I don't know. Yes, I guess. All right. Well, anyway, getting back to my rapid fire. Um, next up for me is Radiant Black number two. It's written by Kyle Higgins with art by Marcelo Costa and letters by Becca Carey. Uh, we get an immediate follow-up on the events of the first issue where, um, you know, and I'm keeping the super broad because it is intriguing. It definitely involves lots of current um, events or at least current uh, possible storylines uh, story, story and story ideas and plot-driving uh, items, um, both economic and... Um, you know, just uh, uh, technology-wise as well. But at the end of the day, what we have is uh, the main character and his name. What's what's bad is that his name is escaping me, and that's never a good sign. But you know, this 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 particular story happens in Middle America, and uh, in some, it's very much uh, one of those spacefaring origin stories in a sense where something mysterious happens to uh take over or give uh you know a a regular joe powers in this case it seems like he has an opposite and it's that opposite that uh has played a role in moving the story forward because that is um where this character finds himself looking for the opposite of um uh, of his radiant black costume i guess Without you know, for for lack of a better term, because it's not like he's given himself a name, uh, a superhero name. So, um, so ultimately, it's a it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, Rodcat, you read the first one? No. It's worth it's worth it to catch up because I think uh, it'll read fairly quickly for the first two. Okay. And last for me, I don't think I've skipped anything else, is the Captain America Anniversary Tribute Number 1. And uh, there is a multitude, a multitude of creators on this. So I'm not going to go through this. It's an exhaustive list. But these ish, these um, anniversary tributes are uh, essentially of the same uh, concept, which is putting together... Uh, the original appearance of the character, and maybe a couple of key first, uh, uh, key early appearances, and having uh, new, having current creators come in and put their own takes on uh, these stories. So what this book covers is Captain America Comics number one, Meet Cap- Captain America, which was uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's original story. Captain America Comics number one, Riddle of the Red Skull, which was also by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And Avengers number four, which we are all familiar with, I hope. Captain America joins the Avengers, which is uh, the original story, which has the original story by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And these um, artists have all put their own touches upon 
Uh, it looks like they're all limited to one page, which is definitely jarring for the reading experience. But um, what's great, at least for, for, for folks who recognize art styles right away, it's great to see new modern art styles on uh, comic pages that you're familiar with that uh, that Kirby did. And you can see uh, how, uh, what liberties some artists have taken with, uh, with layout and story flow and page flow and panel flow um from uh, from Kirby's original pages but the spirit is still there and it still shines through um you know of note is uh specifically the page done by and I didn't have a chance to 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 compare but just going off of my memory the page that Alex Ross does of uh, from Avengers number four, where they uh, pull Captain America, where the Avengers pull Captain America in from the uh, uh, from the ocean, and they and they re- and they reveal that it's actually Captain America that they pull in. So it was pretty. It, it's you know, it rang pretty true in my mind, and it was a, a great rendition of a classic page. And that is it for me. All right, solid. Uh, for myself, we start off with uh, the next Batman, Second Son, number four, written by John Ridley, uh, pencils by Travel Foreman, uh, excuse me, inks by Mark Morales and John Livesay or Livesay, uh, colors by Rex Locus, and lettering by Darren Bennett. So we are still pre- kind of. Uh, at the beginning of uh, Future State with this story. And uh, at the end of last issue, uh, uh, I guess the eldest, um, the eldest uh, the, uh, Fox sister, Tam, I guess Tamara, um, had um, had fallen, fallen ill. Well, not fallen ill, so had fallen out. And this is basically... Thanks to a footnote, a footnote that we found out it is from a volume of Batwing, which I would assume is the last volume of Batwing, um, where something sounds like something happened uh, that involved the Fox family um, as a whole and some kidnapping that apparently happened to the two sisters um, that Luke, who uh, is Batwing, uh, you know, took care of i guess so we still don't necessarily know what jace's part of what he did is wrong but we do find out because like I said, this this was this was stuff that wasn't new to, that was news to me because i had not read that wing enough to know you know enough to keep it with what happened so i didn't know this was following anything that actually happened previously but regardless she's in the hospital again the, the family kind of not necessarily comes together but you know based from that both Luke and uh, who is in the bat suit at this point, who is in a kind of a bat Batman beyond looking this kind of suit at this point and not his, uh, I guess, I guess it was kind of his bat wings. I and mean, maybe it might've been what he, what he ended up with at the end of uh bat wing. I'm not entirely sure, honestly, but Luke gets a kick in the booty from his little sister, uh, Tiffany. Uh, let's say, I think that it is Tiffany. J- uh, Jace, aka Tim, gets another shot at uh, Arkadine, who he was after in the first uh, issue of this book, 
when Akanin ends up coming to Gotham, coincidentally. And uh, from, from, I guess, what, from that and what ends up happening in, in this issue, Jace decides to try out the family business uh, at the end of the issue. So we see him kind of talking to Lucius again about coming on board Fox, uh, 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 Fox Tech. So where that goes from here, find out next uh, next um, issue. Next up, Transformers: Back to the Future number three, written by Kevin Scott, uh, with art by Juan Samu, colors by David Garcia Cruz and Candace Hahn, letters by Neo uh, Yuyatake. I hope I pronounced that right. So if I didn't, I apologize. But uh, Biff gets in trouble with his overlords. Uh, but Biff is also Biff. Because if you did not know, uh, the Transformers has has uh, invaded Hill Valley back in 1984-5-ish. So therefore, this crossover is, you know, the mending of two pop culture, uh, the blending of two pop culture icons, uh, franchises, rather. Um... So the characters pretty much play like they are. So Biff is Biff. The the parents are kind of versions of themselves. Uh, Doc Brown comes in to save the day because uh, he this is which is his first uh, interest into this crossover, uh, and he and Marty end up kind of doing some some saving of the day along with um, uh. One of the newer Transformers, let's say, not Gigabyte, because Gigabyte, Gigabyte, excuse me, is the pretty much the uh, Transformers. And if you've been around here for a couple of a um, couple of shows, you know that there is an actual Transformer um, figure for Gigabyte, which I I now own. And but this other one, Skills, which is pretty much the uh, the hoverboard, uh, hasn't had a figure yet, and I kind of want it. Uh, and I say all that to say this because there is another Transformer that comes out at the end that uh, shows up at the end of this book uh, that has to do with a kind of an out- iconic location in the Back to the Future franchise. And no, it's not the mall, but it's another place. Um, and I pretty much say in my nose, Mom, I want this new Transformer because if you know the, how Transformers run and a couple of the, let's say, bigger ones, you kind of get an idea there. But uh, this is a fun read that uh, I, I kind of been enjoying. It's like some of these uh, Transformers crossovers are actually most of them have been pretty fun. So I can't say that I haven't been enjoying them. But some of them are a little bit better than others, and some of them are a little bit more amusing than others. Um, I would say worth a worth a read if you are interested in a crossover between these two franchises. Put it that way. Uh, but last but not least, the Trials of Ultraman. So this is the new miniseries from Marvel um, coming off of that last Ultraman uh, miniseries. And this is written by Kyle Wig Higgins and Matt Groom um, for, for both because of the backup story also that, that both of them are writing. Art by Eduardo uh, Ferragato, um, color artist Marcelo Costa, uh, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. And I believe the the backup has art by Guri Hiru. So, um, basically, like I said, this starts a new arc where um, I'm not sure why they made this into a no, new arc as, as opposed. I mean, I knew miniseries as opposed to just like kind of continuing from the previous miniseries. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of weird, but. Um, 
we see Shin, do, you know, doing do, Shin and Ultraman doing Ultraman business under the sea, and uh, at this point, the USP has come gone public, which at the end of the last um, miniseries. That's what they decided to do, which is like, again, why it was so weird that they decided to make it into a brand new miniseries as opposed to a continuation of, you know, uh, the thing. But um, so that's going along. Uh, Shin's kind of wondering, well, why not have him, excuse me, go public with his idea as opposed to keeping that part secret, even though the USB in itself is public. And, you know, the director was like, nah, there's a reason why we don't do that. And you're too naive. And you know, to to understand why that is because Shin's still young. We also get a um some dialogue between him and his dad, which I could have sworn in the Ultraman uh history was another Ultraman, but I could be wrong about that. And I don't know who this person was. And I could be totally wrong about mixing up my histories here because I'm not that person Ultraman. But uh but also, we pretty much, um, pretty much in the start of this arc, get uh, reintroduced at the end to a former Ultraman who has come back for some reason uh, that we don't know about yet. But they're in a little bit of trouble, and so Shin and the, the crew at USB are uh, tasking themselves to save this person, and I guess potentially find out why this person is back and may possibly have no memories of what's going on. So that's pretty much how that goes. And that, uh, folks is the end of, uh, my books. All righty. Um, so we got let's get week. our clicks of the week, I guess. So we don't have yet. Well, I guess yeah. So we don't have uh, clicks yeah. from our absentee folks. Uh, uh, right, we kind of got the notice out to them a little late tonight, folks. So uh, no, we I I I totally did it beforehand, but it no, was, it was the wrong uh, chat. That's why you'll see it twice. Oh, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil the inside baseball part of that, but yeah. Okay, I was like, I was wondering why you did the same thing, but okay. Um, you see it now. Yeah, I did see it. I do see yeah. it. I damn sure I didn't see that earlier. Okay, right. So, yeah. so we so, uh, seven is right. So, so we, we did apologize. Didn't put that. that out there until late. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, right. so we probably won't. Get, it is sometimes they won't. You know, they they're busy and don't wouldn't answer anyway. So it probably wouldn't have matter one way or the other. But regardless, um, you got yours. Oh, mine's easy. Okay, mine's easy. Thor number thirteen. Mm. Probably should have guessed that. All right, throw number thirteen for you and for myself. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. I I, like I said, this is kind of one of those ways where it's like, yeah, yeah, there's there's there are decent books, but nothing like just really pops out at you. Right, I was pretty fortunate. I was pretty fortunate that Thor came out this week because right. it is a lighter week. Right. And um, I wonder why it's a light week at the, you know, it's like right in the middle of the month. <laughs> it's kind of weird that this would be kind of like a light shipping week of comics. Mm. Um, you know, maybe they thought, well, everyone's celebrating St. Patty, so they won't go to the comic book store. 
Yeah, I kind of doubt that, but... <laughs> It'd be funny if that was the case, right? It would be funny if that was the case. Um, yeah, that kind of foresight would, would be interesting. Um, so I guess I'm going to go with... It was a fun book of the week, uh, as I said uh, previously. Transformers Back to the Future number three. Sounds good. So with that, uh, we are going to go into the news, but first, an ad read. I was going to add that the, the book that Roddy Cap made his click of the week this week sounds like when they said, who is the tar- target demographic for this book? And a picture of Roddy Cat came up. Me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. So... Our first ad read of the night is for Funko Fun at First Sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And to be fair, if you're of a, a certain vintage, you can't help the nostalgia, the, the, the nostalgia uh, since it's just tingling at the, the prospect of Transformers and Back to the Future kind of co-mingling, you know. Uh, but yes, folks. The news section, we start off as we do with the cinematic news. Again, we no WandaVision stuff because that's already done. And uh, we are short three to four hours away from Falcon and Winter Soldier happening. So be on the lookout for that next week. Right. Uh, so we start <clears throat> off with Mortal Kombat star Joe Taslim's 10-year-old son pushed him to play Sub-Zero. Uh, when Sci-Fi Wire visited said of the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, it was clear that all of the action actors cast in uh, Simon McCoy's updated film adaptation, uh, wait, that of all of the actors in the adaptation, uh, that martial, actor and martial artist Joe Taslam from The Raid Redemption, Warrior, and The Night Comes From The Raid Redemption and Warrior, I definitely want to uh, watch because I still, still have yet to watch either one of those. Anyway, who plays Cryomancer? Why do they call him a Cryomancer? He's just a ninja that shoots eyes. Come on. Anyway, um, was one of the biggest fans of the franchise. It's so crazy that I'm playing the character that I played when I was a kid, Taslam said. It's a dream come true. Uh, and then it kind of goes into a little bit of his history and uh, Tesla's history and um, talks about a little bit of his works. But basically, it says here that um, apparently Tesla was the first actor cast in the film, which, you know, from what I know about him, you, you know, hey, what a. But um, Tesla credits his son for helping him make the decision. Ironically, his son was only 10 years old at the time and therefore not old enough to play uh, the 18 plus game. And he says, uh, when my agent called me about the offer, I asked my son, which character do you think fits me best? He said, Sub-Zero, Tesla recalled, and I told my agent not to lose this job. So that's, that's cute. 
Uh, I'm actually looking forward to. I, I've said this before. I'm looking forward to this reboot because all accounts looks good so far. Um, but we'll see when it happens. What June? I think June. Yeah, let's say June because I think it's going to come out. But next up, just a quick uh, a quick note, re- rewinding to something that Roddy Cat mentioned mm-hmm. about uh, Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel and her becoming Captain Marvel being already ten years. He's only I thought it was too long. He's actually only off by a year, maybe a year and a half, because okay. apparently that reboot where uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh and Marvel put Carol Danvers into the Captain Marvel title actually happened in 2012. Okay, it might have been yeah, like 2012, yeah. but it's 2012. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, because I knew it was a, it was definitely around 2011, 2012, something like that. Or so, yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, it was definitely a little off on that one, but not by much. So, so but a little, only a little on the high side. Whereas, whereas I thought it was a lot on the high side. But right. obviously, and I've said it before, I should put it on loop. The pandemic has completely warped my sense of time. So <laughs> everybody's, you know. Uh, but but in in any event, our next story is uh, Netflix's Resident Evil CG anime show is going to lean on some familiar voice actors. While we're still waiting to hear more about the live action Resident Evil show that Netflix has in development, um, Netflix revealed that uh, the anime is going to arrive later this year, and it's time to coincide with the game's 25th anniversary. Um, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness will follow along as Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield investigate two zombie outbreaks, eventually reuniting at the White House. Leon and Claire will be voiced by Nick Apostolides and Stephanie Panicello, respectively, with the two reprising their voice roles from the Resident Evil 2 remake that came out in 2019. Uh, Netflix and Capcom will reveal more about the show during the Anime Japan 2021 event on March 27th. Shout out to the guy with the Greek last name. Indeed. I read that in one shot. Apostolides. I'm like, oh, snap. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, Marvel's She-Hulk and Moon Knight start shooting in a few weeks. So Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige uh, recently sat down in an interview with The Companion. And during that ish, uh, interview, he offered an update on the highly anticipated Disney Plus shows She-Hulk and Moon Knight. Uh, Feige confirmed that both of these shows are scheduled to start production soon, with She-Hulk going to production first, and that'll be followed by Moon Knight a week later, he said. Um, and there's a quote here from Feige saying, On March 19th, as you know, the Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier will be debuting. June 11th will be the debut date for Loki, and of course, soon after that, we'll have our first animated series, which is What If. Uh, we're finishing up Miss Marvel and are also shooting Hawkeye currently. In a few weeks, we start She Hulk, and a week or so after that, we start Moonlight in addition uh, to our features. Wow. Yeah, so the, 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 um, the deck is stacked, folks. Stuff is coming down the pipeline. Stuff is absolutely coming down the pipeline, which is so wild. Um, I don't even think they have... They've sort of confirmed that Oscar Isaac is playing Moon Knight, Mark Spector. I believe they all have all but... No, actually, I believe... Well, yeah, I believe they've all but officially said so. They sort of... Exactly. They haven't officially announced that they've sort of done it. Right. You know, which is the funniest part of that. It's like, wait a second, we're not... Gonna just come out and say it? 
I guess. Or they have, and we missed it. But I don't. Yeah, I don't recall seeing any official official from either Marvel or him. Right. So, next up. Uh, next up, the finale of the Disney Plus series WandaVision acts as a lead-in for the upcoming film Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. According to Kevin Feige, viewers will still be able to follow the Sorcerer Supreme sequel whether they whether they have seen WandaVision or not. Speaking to the companion about Marvel Studios' upcoming slate of television series, Feige said that discussions were had with all creative parties while connecting WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness. Uh, we quote, he, we've already said that Lizzie Olsen will go from WandaVision into the new Doctor Strange film. He explained there were lots of conversations with Sam Raimi and Michael Waldron, Waldron and the entire Doctor Strange team that this movie needs to work for people who watched WandaVision. But more importantly, it needs to work for people who didn't, who maybe Endgame was the last time they saw Wanda or one of the earlier movies, or maybe she's a character they're meeting for the first time. Uh, there will always be different layers of understanding, but we don't want there to be a barrier to entry, end quote. So that's uh, that's good news. And of course, uh, Kevin Feige is telling everybody to play nice together. So good. Mm. Layers, like an onion. And speaking of, Shrek is returning to theaters for the 20th anniversary, which I don't remember if we mentioned previously or I had it in the thing and somehow misplaced it. But there you go, folks. Next up, though, um, speaking of WandaVision, WandaVision's pre- I was about to say pre-visual, but pre-FX, uh, visual effects, uh, Paul Bettany shows Vision's uncanny ears. Uh, some some behind-the-scenes photos from Marvel Studios' Disney Plus' WandaVision uh, showed that the Vision of Paul Bettany looked way better with Bettany's ears erased. Uh, the, the New York Times culture writer David Itzkoff uh, posts a series of pre-visual effects photos of Paul Bettany's Vision on Twitter showing the uncanny nature of the synthesoid having human-like ears. And, yeah, boy, does that look kind of funny. <laughs> so, and you can see the tweet uh, in itself right there if you're watching the video version of this program, and you should sometimes, because, you know, sometimes there's some visual treats for folks. But uh, also, I guess this is a way to say, um, hey, the uh, making of WandaVision is out there. Did you go watch? We talked about this last uh, issue or last episode. So, you know, have at it on the Disney Plus uh, thing if you are so inclined. Next. Next up, uh, Kevin Feige uh, commented on the the possible return of the MCU's version of shield and versions of shield and Hydra, uh, as part of the global press tour for the Falcon and the winter soldier, Feige was asked about two groups that have uh, had a huge impact on the journey of, uh, the title characters with both shield and Hydra having spent years missing from the MCU outside of agents of shield. The overseer of the Marvel unit, Marvel multiverse was asked if the rival outfits could someday return to the big or small screen quote. Well, again, you can always look at the comics, right? Feige said, quote, we always take our lead from what has happened before. And those organizations come and go in various forms over the years. So they always could return. There are new organizations like S.W.O.R.D. that you saw in WandaVision, so there's always an inherent need for above-board or shadowy organizations of some kind in the MCU. Yeah, and we know Nick Fury is up there in space doing something, so... 
there is that. Next up, though, uh, why Marvel Studios is determined not to debut uh, movies on Disney Plus. Um, Kevin Did you Feige, skip a couple? Not that I know of. Let me see. Yeah. Um, I would oh. say I don't know. I I I I usually don't skip two stories. It looks like you skip two stories. Oh to no, my... no, I think. Um, hang on, I just placed. I placed it wrong. No, wait. Um, no, this is so. Where does that? Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. I moved one around. I don't know how that one got moved around. So, I was about to say I'll click reload on mine so I have what you're looking at. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, you're right. No, like I said, I just had it in the wrong place. The the it wasn't the necessarily a skip, but uh, yeah. Let me move this one over here where it's supposed to be, and blah. This is exactly when Falcon and Winter Soldier takes place in the MCU timeline. Um. There's probably going to be another place where there's going to be a, a weird um ordering okay. of the news. So, but anyway, um. With less than a week until, well, at the at the time of this article was less than a week. We we're actually less than a couple of hours of. Uh, it's series creator and director show shared uh, where the series takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and why. Series creator Malcolm Spellman and series director Kari Skogland uh, shared that the series takes place six months after Avengers Endgame, uh, according to them talking to Collider. Uh, everything narratively was informed by that event for us. It meant that we're just uh, just past the shock of it. Uh, Skagenland continued, we're just uh, past the joy of it because we're imagining that there will be a lot of joy in people returning. Now we're into the reality of it, which is complicated. The series director clarified that after half of the world's population was wiped out by Thanos in return, you've got different economic circumstances, different border circumstances. So there we go. We, we now have we have a time frame before we even get the show good to know I guess uh, and I know there's a lot of people there are people who have had their hands on preview uh, preview episodes of the show or even seemingly in some cases the whole thing we're not sure but uh, next up oh just a quick note mm-hmm. that Prey storyline in Thor actually starts with 9 I was off by an issue so, uh, if you're looking to catch up on that story arc with Donald Blake, it starts with issue nine and we're on 13. So it's not too bad. Next up, Ironheart star landed the Marvel role without an audition. Dominique Thorne said she was offered the part of Riri Williams slash Ironheart in the upcoming Disney plus series without having to read for it, man. That's the life. Right. If you can get it, if you can get it. So the actress, known for her work in Oscar-nominated features like If Beale Street Could Talk and Judas and the Black Messiah, which is good and you guys should watch it, Agreed. although I think it might have already left HBO Max, so it it's a little late. Yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's out there still for, for probably rental uh, or, or whatever, so right. it's, it's out there in some form. Right, 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 right. But it was good, so it was definitely worth catching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set to play the title character in the upcoming Disney Plus series, Ironheart, a role she didn't have to audition for, as I said. In an interview with Empire, Thorne discussed how the House of Ideas offered her the part of teenage genius Riri Williams, saying, quote, I was so shocked, in fact, that there was a considerable lag in the conversation. I was waiting for them to say, like, quote, oh, we'll send you the sides or get your tape over to us. But there was none of that. It was just like, 
would you like to do this? It was probably the most unique experience I've ever had because there was no audition at all, end quote. So, cool. Like I said, don't knock it. Yeah. You know, very, gift horse and all that stuff, right? Right, and it's very, very, very rare <laughs> that, that that kind of thing has happened for if a, let's say, lesser-known quantity um, in Hollywood, much less, you know, yeah. Uh, let's see. Now we're back to the story. Why Marvel Studios is determined not to debut uh, movies on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Feige reaffirmed his commitment to making sure that uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe's films are seen on the big screen rather than premiering on the streaming service, on a streaming service. Uh, responding to the variety on why he's passionate about the theater, theatrical experience, and I feel like there's a sound effect that could go perfectly here, but uh, Feige said, there you go. Uh, it's impossible not to be uh, when you go to open a night to 23 movies in packed movie houses which is the reason right now not to do that and seeing uh, the moviegoers reaction. That's what drives us creatively. And uh, as we make all of these certainly culminating in adventures in game and far from home, uh, there's nothing better than that. And we don't want to lose it. I'm hoping we don't have to. So yeah, as, as the um, aforementioned and after after done sound effect, yeah, we know there's money involved and definitely trying to keep um, wanting to keep movie theater owners happy. That's just, and open right. And all of this is, is, is definitely a factor. Like I know what I, had, what uh, I was going to say is Kevin Feige is probably taking the 49th most important uh, factor <laughs> and, and yes. pushing that to the top. <laughs> yes, it sounds good on paper, but we right we, yeah. because we we all know where he's coming from, right? As moviegoers ourselves, especially as night one, day one, uh, movie watchers over here, mm-hmm. we know what he means. But that's definitely not the most important reason why they want to put movies back into theaters and have them debut there, right? So, and I had a discussion with somebody when I posted this on Discord on a, on a Discord. We don't have a Discord, uh, but uh, on, I posted this on on, on a Discord and some. It's like somebody kind of brought up the fact it was like, well, isn't isn't you know what about the pandemic and this and that and the other? I'm like, yeah, you're not seeing what what <laughs> I basically just says like, no, nah, it's 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 uh it's totally about you know kind of appeasing movie movie theater owners and movie theaters trying to keep them open and and that just happens to look good on paper basically. So and then it was like, yeah, yeah, you. you Probably write about it upon reflection, cause, but they, but the way their their reasoning was because we, we hadn't gotten Black Widow yet. I'm like, like, yeah, I guess that's that's at least of an issue also <laughs> at this point. But moving right along, next up, Venom. The Venom sequel has been delayed out of its previously confirmed June 2021 release date. Venom Let There Be Carnage will now be released in theaters including 3D, IMAX, and other premium large formats on September 17th, 2021 rather than June 25th of this year. Can you say because we won't all have vaccines by then? Mm-hmm. Um, see, former point. Uh, yeah, so I've come to find out that there are more people that I know liked the original Venom movie than I thought had actually even seen it. Um, I still have yet to see it and I'm still not necessarily looking forward to watching it, but I've, you know, science will demand at some point. 
and now that we know that, and you know, we've known that they were going to do a sequel, I'm still kind of iffy about it. But here we are, folks. Next up is oh, come on, thank you. Some good news of sorts. Uh, Jindy Tartakovsky's excuse me, Clone Wars hits Disney Plus in April. Why it took so long? Don't know. But the original Clone Wars is coming to Disney Plus and bringing some Ewok friends along with it. Um, <laughs> Star Wars Clone Wars, the 2003 Star Wars animated series that was developed and uh, directed by Jindy Tartakovsky. Uh, you know who that who that guy is. If you don't uh, know Dexter's Lab or Samurai Jack by this point, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, will be available on Disney Plus in its entirety starting Friday, April the second. Uh, it'll be joined on the service on the very same day by Star Wars Ewoks, or simply Ewoks. Uh, the 1985 cartoon developed by Batman, the animated series, is uh, Paul Denny, alongside Bob Corral. Now, a couple of things here, folks. That first Clone Wars, which I believe is now is not canon anymore, which is really dumb. If you're going to watch the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars series, you should watch this first. And then watch Clone Wars because they definitely do connect. Like um, Clone Wars, the Tartakovsky one definitely goes di- directly into um, Revenge, Return of, Revenge of the Sith. Like, spoiler alert if you've never seen it, but it definitely ties directly into that. Um, but also introduces a couple of characters. Well, at the very least, one character. I can't remember if. Um, Actually, I don't think Grievous was introduced in in that. But still, uh, definitely Ventures, Ventures of Asajj Ventures was, and you don't really get a formal introduction in the Clone Wars properly, which is weird. I think, and even in the movie that kind of came uh, early on, that is technically a part of the you know the the first season. Uh, so that's being the case, that's that. Definitely check out that, that uh, Clone Wars because it's great. There's some good stuff in it. And it's real short, too. I think it's probably all in all a couple of hours. Because uh, it was like basically a little like couple of minute shorts that uh, that was uh, displayed, that, 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 was, uh, that used to come out on Cartoon Network. And then they put them all together in like a couple of hour things in a couple of seasons. Uh, I think the second season is probably a little bit, a little bit longer because they kind of extended the, uh, extended the uh, length of time on them. Also, yeah, Ewoks, Star Wars Ewoks, which I feel like we've talked about in in at some point, uh, came alongside, uh, which came alongside or around the same time as the Droids cartoon. Why the frick they don't have the Droids cartoon on here? I do not know. It was the very, it was the better show. Like, don't get me wrong, the Ewok show was cute and all that, but, but look, the Droid show was great. That uh, the theme song slapped. And I, why did now? And I know Agent Seven is going to be like they're probably going to put it on here sometime, and they probably will. But that's an oversight. That's not even on here, even before now, honestly. Because I'm just kind of surprised they didn't have neither one of these on uh, on the service before now. Now probably some um, licensing issues or something that might have had to get hashed out or something, or maybe they had to find the uh, you know good copies of them, you know, because again they. The, 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 those two cartoons were from 85 like the you know Clone Wars is, is a different subject was probably already out there in a way it's definitely out there in a way so yeah oh and also um, 
Yeah, even like I said, it's the same day for Star Wars Droids when it came out. But also, I believe we are getting the Star Wars Hollywood Holiday Special on at the same time. I don't think this article says as much, but I'm pretty sure I have seen it somewhere else saying that the Holiday Special, the much um, the much maligned Holiday Special, original special, is going to be put on the service on that same day or around that day. I was going to say, I remember the article that I sent had information on the holiday special. Right. And I think that's where, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I had, I had had this article before you right. sent me that. So, right. Mentioned we, you know, like we're, we're, we're talking a little bit behind the scenes here, folks. But when I, when I had sent Roddy Cat a story about this uh, announcement, it did involve some news about the, uh, the, the, the much maligned, but first appearance of, uh, of uh, of uh, what call it of a uh, Boba Fett, mm-hmm. um, being uh, coming to Disney Plus soon, so, so we'll track that down that for that you. Out. What's that? No, sorry. So folks get to check that out because I know it's been on YouTube for a good in various degrees of quality for a good minute, but now you can check it out officially. Right. Uh, where is that article? Which again? Why did they not have that on before they did the the Lego special? <laughs> I don't understand that. It's a it's over at our 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 uh, colleagues in comic book news or Newsarama. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Next up, mild spoil. No, mild. Not mild because it actually. Just don't, yeah. Please don't don't say that last part because because I think the series just um. Well, they just ended, and some people didn't. So that last line of that, uh, that last first paragraph, maybe not uh, put in that last little bit before the name. The last line of the first paragraph? And actually, I don't know why I'm sitting here, I'm showing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Um, that, is, that is where the spoiler comes in. For some folks. <laughs> including myself, because I didn't know about that part, but it's, it is what it right, is. Right, right. Right, so apparently there's spoilers here. For the DuckTales three-part series finale, The Last Adventure, which aired on Disney XD and Disney Now on March 15th. Uh, the date of this uh, airing and taping is uh, Thursday, March 18th slash 19th. So um, this has just aired uh, only three or four days ago. So um, spoiler alert is in full effect for you folks. So as I said, the DuckTales reboot has come to an end and one of its directors is thanking the fans and audience of the Disney XD series. Uh, Director Tanner Johnson wrote a sincere uh, thank you on Twitter. And um, he also revealed, he posted an image of Scrooge McDuck alongside his nephews, as well as a recently revealed um, character. That's... Well, no, the character's been there. It's just that there was a revelation about that said character. Right. So I left that out. Yeah. Um, and also, I know, I can't remember if this article said something about it, but apparently there was also another reference to another uh, Disney Afternoon um, staple that a bunch of people really liked that apparently plays off nicely. So, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, if you saw it, you know what we were talking about. If you didn't, uh, like me, uh, you're probably itching to actually get caught up with it at some point. Arrowverse finally fixes Team Flash's biggest problem. 
Uh, let's see. The Flash finally takes care of a long time Arrowverse issue that's been floating over Team Flash, Barry Allen's uh, intelligence. One of the recurring elements of almost all of the CW shows uh, is that the leading hero always has a team behind him on their crusade. Some would say a man and or woman uh, in the chair. Uh, while all of the different characters, while all different characters, there are always a few key roles, like an engineer creating advanced technology, an IT expert that can hack anything, the superhero has to get through, uh, and someone who works for the military, or at least an agency like the DEO and the Crows. Um, so almost all of the Everest teams have had someone that handles the cartoons and upgrades. And apparently Superman and Lois kind of went away from that. And it says here that, um, you know, in addition to having different Wellses or whatever, that apparently, uh, thanks to the second episode of the second season, seventh season, excuse me, that Barry's intelligence has been uh, put on display. So, because, you know, as we know, the character of Barry Allen is supposed to be pretty smart, you know, pretty smart in and outside of the suit. So therefore, you know, I guess they're displaying that a little bit more now than they, than they have in the past seven seasons of the show. Next up. All right. Supergirl and Lex face off in the fortress of solitude in first season, six photos. Um, the first photos from Supergirl's final season premiere, titled Rebirth have been released by the CW. The photos tease a showdown between Lex, who has who now has half the world under his control, and Supergirl and her team as they struggle to free all the people under his influence. However, Lex is not the only foe Supergirl will be facing as she will also have to take on Gammon May. Gammon May? Mm-hmm. You got me. You know what we have to say to that. Who? <laughs> So, indeed. So there are some cool pictures, at least. Yeah, that Roddy Cat, I'm sure, is uh, uh, scrolling through now. So, yep. Um, All right, the uh, season six will kick off March 30th. Mm-hmm. Cool. Next up, uh, Star Girl season two villain Eclipso gets first look image. So as you can see from the video, you can see the tweet that uh, was that was uh, posted that shows Eclipso, uh, which of course is a Superman villain. But season two of uh, CW series Star Girls due sometime this summer, and as the time draws nearer, the show um, nearer the show is starting to come increasingly into focus, uh, thanks to the reveals like the first image of Eclipso from the upcoming season. DC shared the image of the villain portrayed by Nick E. Tarabay from The Expanse on Twitter. Which Why does that name sound familiar? Um, I want to say that was a Power Ranger, but I'm not sure if that's the character. Anyway, clad in full costume. Uh, let's see. So, you, again, you can see the picture here. And also, I did not realize that season one had wrapped up because I hadn't watched any of Super... Sorry, not Stargirl, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So... But there you go, folks. Um, that is that. Next. Uh, Harley Quinn co-showrunner Justin Halpern confirmed a truly mad member of Batman's rogues gallery will, gallery will appear in the animated series' third season. Okay. 
Um, he's confirmed that classic Batman rogue known as the Mad Hatter will make an appearance when DC's acclaimed adult animated series returns for season three on HBO Max. The Mad Hatter is in the season, Halpern said during an appearance on the Masters of None podcast. He's a villain in one of the episodes. I will give that away. Okay. All right. And uh, apparently Nick E. Tarabay is not a Power Ranger person, but it was uh, from Spartacus and The Expanse. And apparently he's done some movie work, uh, some relatively notable uh, movie work. So there you go. So next up, uh, hey, folks, uh, Superman, the animated series is on uh, HBO Max in HD, and you can go check it out as your leisure as of this moment. Uh, And you should. It's actually not a bad show. Like, obviously, Batman, the animated series is, you know, is is a more iconic show, but it's from the same people. And, um, you know, there were some good stories in there that ended up, a couple of which uh, ended up getting taken up from Justice League. And actually, also, you know, like I said, the, uh, we got just they got both of these shows, so definitely worth worth watching. Next up, already next up, Black Lightning debuts first look at Painkiller spinoff pilot. Uh, a promo has been released for the next Black Lightning episode, which will do- double as a backdoor pilot for the spinoff series Painkiller. Um, while Black Lightning is in its final seasons, fans have gotten a chance to see a native son of Freeland in an ongoing story in the spinoff series Painkiller. The spinoff was given a pilot order from the CW, and now fans have been given a first look at the potential new series. Um, the promo for an upcoming episode highlights Khalil Payne. Uh, slash painkiller, the cybernetic assassin who has been alternatively and or alternately uh, an enemy and an ally for Black Lightning and his family. In it, Khalil is seen struggling with his bloodthirsty alter ego while also highlighting his impressive combat skills and unique array of superpowers. Uh, Black Lightning showrunner Salim Akil is set to write and direct the backdoor pilot, which will air on Monday, April 12th. Cool. Uh, DC is developing an Iron Man film. Uh, according to Deadline, the project will be penned by uh, Gavin Games and Neil Widener. But little else is available at this time, including which incarnation of Iron Man the film centers around. Um, and it just goes into a, a character history of, of Iron Man. So... Oh, sorry about that. An ad decided to play while I was going through something. Not a problem. Next up. Next up, Star Trek Strange New Worlds beams up five new cast members. This is the Paramount Plus Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, show. um, And production is beginning in Toronto. um, uh, And has added five new members to its cast. Uh, there's a long list of people here. Um, but per deadline, Babs Olusan Mokun, Christina Chong, Celia Rose Gooding, Jess Bush, and Melissa Navia 
have all boarded Strange New Worlds, a series of regulars. They join Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, and Rebecca Romaine, who reprise their roles as Christopher Pike, Spock, and Number One, respectively, from Star Trek Discovery. Okay. I had to see if, if uh, the uh, Celia Rose Gooding was related to either of the other ones, and apparently maybe not. Doesn't seem not. Um, the Boys spinoff casts uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Star. So, let's see. Jazz Sinclair has been cast as one of the young superheroes in The Boys spinoff on Amazon. Deadline reports that Sinclair will play one of the superheroes named Marie. So she's playing Rogue. Um, never mind. It's, yeah. Um, one of the character descriptions for the boys' spinoff revealed by the Illuminati, which you can take that for what it is. Earlier this month, names a Marie Moreau. Uh, she's a little black girl from the Caribbean who dreams of becoming one of the world's greatest superheroes. Uh, she describes as incredibly intelligent and funny, but also ruthless in her pursuit of excellent, uh, excelling at school and honoring her home. Uh, she has the pride of her nation and her family's financial future riding her shoulders as the first uh, superhero from the Caribbean. So, if uh, if this is uh, if this is the case, and uh, you know this little tidbit from the Illuminati can be believed, then there you go. Because as we have seen previously in in the last week or so, sometimes some shits are not right. Next up. Mm. Junkie XL unleashes his monstrous themes. Ugh. You know that joke was going to be made. For Godzilla vs. Kong, and <laughs> there's also a new poster revealed. Composer Tom Holkenborg, now we know why he goes by Junkie XL, unleashed Tom <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> uh... <laughs> He unleashed two tracks from his Godzilla vs. Kong score. One features the theme he created for Godzilla, and the other features the theme for King Kong. The tracks are titled Pensacola, Florida, the Godzilla theme, and Skull Island, Kong theme. And you can listen to what Chunky XL came up with for the music below. Um, and uh, the poster, poster, poster... Oh, there's a new poster for the movie. Roddy Cat's probably scrolling down through it to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that. That movie is set to uh, show... Uh, I thought it was supposed to be the 31st. Is it the 21st it now? No. Is, well, according to the poster, it's the 31st. It's a typo in the article. Mm. Do you see that? Yeah, I do see that. Unless they switched it. But, yeah, as far as I know, no, uh, and as far as I saw I, on... As, it seems fact, like the poster's probably right. I think the poster's <laughs> probably right, because when I looked at, uh, the last time I saw the trailer thing on HBO Max, I believe it still says the 31st. Yeah, it's the 31st. That's just the typo. That's sloppy, though, because that's, like, the most important part of the news. Yeah, and it's also in the thing that you posted in the thing. You know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know. Uh, next up, though. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like uh, Roddy Cat. And his uh, riff on uh, editorial uh, editorial <laughs> editors and lack thereof at some comic book websites. Yeah, indeed. Hey, if you again, if y'all are hiring, you know I'm I'm available. Anywho, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog two officially 
Uh, and I say that, and then if something happens, and I do get hurt. Anyway, <laughs> that comes back to bite me at some point. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 officially begins production, uh, confirms director Jeff Fowler. So, let's see. Jeff Fowler has announced uh, on the 15th of this month, which is a few days from, from, from this uh, episode, that production on the highly anticipated Sonic the Hedgehog is highly anticipated, really? I don't think so. Has officially commenced. Uh, while no casting news has accompanied this tweet, primetime Emmy winner Ben Schwartz has already been confirmed to reprise his role as the voice of the titular Hedgehog, along with two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, James Marsden, uh, Tika Sumter, and uh, Lee Maj- Majdub also are expected to return the film just pretty much like the video game series is also set to formally introduce both tails and knuckles although there's no word on who will be voicing the parts uh colleen o'shaughnessy uh, the voice of tails in the video game series reprised her role in the previous film's mid-credit scene uh but it's unclear whether she'll return for the sequel i and i'm sitting here like do i actually should should i actually watch this movie and I don't know the answer to that. Um, and actually, I need, do need to watch Detective Pikachu before it goes off of uh, the, the HBO Max. But that's a whole different situation. Next up. Next up, uh, Cowboy Bebop's live-action Netflix series has wrapped filming. Um, news comes from... Actress Daniela Pineda, who will be playing iconic con artist Faye Valentine in the upcoming show. Pineda writes on her Instagram, I'm coming back on air to say season one of Cowboy Bebop is finally finished. Gonna dip again, but will return after these messages. The live action show picked up a few names from the original anime as a result of the downtime. So that's cool. Uh, See you, Space Cowboy. Agent 70 should watch this show. Not this show, but the 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 anime. The right, the original anime. Because it's it's a classic for a reason. Although it might not be everybody's cup of tea. Hey, I watched uh, which one called? I watched. Uh, did, did you didn't have anything in the news about uh, Attack on Titan getting delayed because of the because of a, uh, vol- uh earthquake? Uh, no, I don't believe I do. I'm almost certain I do not. Actually, all right. Yeah, well, I mean, just as a quick aside, yeah. um, I I am surprisingly up to date on Attack on Titan, and uh, you know, for several people, you know, I got in, in into it for uh, several reasons. You know, lots of people mentioning it to me, and a and a good friend uh, asking uh, several of his, uh, well, just any of his friends to to catch up on that and 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 get on top of it before it ended, and unfortunately. Because of uh, news coverage of an earthquake that happened in Japan, um, that ha- the 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 news coverage happened to air right when uh, the episode was airing in Japan, and so the the episode was taken off the air, and will now air um, this coming Sunday back to back with the following episode. So those of us who are watching the simulcast overseas and obviously here in the States are going to see the simulcast of two episodes, uh, this coming Sunday. So looking forward to that, but, um, 
because I didn't have a chance to watch Attack on Titan, I over time in pieces watched uh, Princess Mononoke. Mm. So that was my anime fix. Right. Yeah. Agent Seventy. Um. Getting his. Uh. Getting his. Um. His. Uh. Adding to his. Uh. Anime. Acumen. Over here. Slowly but surely, folks. Slowly but surely. <laughs> uh. Let's see. Last in the. Actually, it's not last. I'm sorry. There is another one after this. Um. Maybe a couple after this. Actually. Catwoman's mask. Die Hard. Lighter. Uh. Edward's scissor hand glove. And more hit the auction block. So, more than 800 props from uh, the most popular films over the past 50 years, including uh, the aforementioned Catwoman's uh, Cow and Harry Potter's Wand, are up for auction. Uh, let's see. The props from films as varied as Alien, Independence Day, Scarface, and the James Bond franchise are being offered up in uh, Hollywood Legends and Luminaries auction by Julian's Auctions in April. Uh, let's see. The cow worn by Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns is valued at $8,000 to $12,000, along with other items from Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. The Zippo lighter used by Bruce Willis in Die Hard is valued at ten dollars to $20,000. Uh, certified by the prop master as the only one used in, in the film, by the way, is also being in this shield that um, that went along with uh, one uh, John McClane is also being uh, sold. And the t-shirt and the shoulder holster rig. So, let's see. And the, the radio. But, yeah, you can, there's a lot of stuff from various movies, including a blaster from... Um, Star Wars from Return of the Jedi, the aforementioned Edward Cezanne's stuff, and of course, a wand from one of the Harry Potter's movies, which I know a couple of Potterheads, and they would probably be chomping in bed to get this, I'm sure. Next up. Next up, Benedict Cumberbatch's upcoming film, War Magician, which is surprisingly not a Doctor Strange movie, has tapped the architect of the Jurassic World series, director Colin Trevorrow, to helm the film. Trevorrow recently wrapped production on the third entry in the Jurassic World franchise, Jurassic World Dominion. Um, War Magician is about an illusionist who uses his tricks to help fight the Nazis and is a film Cumberbatch should be well qualified for to take on based on his prior acting credits. Ha ha. Wink wink. Screen rant. So yeah, there you go folks. Um, And now we go over into the comic book news. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Marvel to celebrate Pride Month with Marvel Voices, Marvel's Voices uh, Pride Number One. Uh, this June, Marvel Comics is proud to honor Pride Month with a historic celebration of LGBTQ plus characters and creators in Marvel Voices Voices Pride Number One. Uh, following in the footsteps of the mega popular Marvel's Voices Indigenous Voices and Marvel Voices Legacy. Uh, Pride number one will be Marvel's first ever queer-centered special spotlighting Marvel's growing tapestry of LGBTQ plus characters. Uh, the stories of inspiration and empowerment will be brought to life by an assembly of writers and artists from all walks of life 
including Kieran Gillen, Olivia Copel, uh, Steve Orlando, Anthony Oliveri, Tini Howard, Vida Ayala, Chris Anka, uh, Javier Garon, and many more. So check that out in on the 6-23, June 23rd, when that comes out. Uh, and uh, if you're watching the video, you can see uh, some characters that will be uh, most likely in the book. Next up. You know what's wild? And this is an aside. Mm-hmm. I compare this to DC's... Oh, we'll get to that. What's that? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I about to say, we're going to get no, to that because there's the also same. a story on that. What, they're doing a pride thing too? Yes. Oh, no, I, I wasn't going to compare it to that, so okay. I, I won't tread upon that particular story. I was going to say I compare it to DC's attempt at the Asian Heritage Month right. um, book. And um, it's, it's, it, it, it's just amazing to see that... Um, the uh you know the characters that marvel has, has has put out and you know some some unfortunately would say recharacterized or rebooted or retconned mm. but uh you know at the end of the day they have created a stable of characters that are you know there's a reason why representation matters folks mm-hmm. and you know it's been a steady push it, you know as 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 much as people push against progress it happens you know in fits and starts and sometimes leaps and bounds uh and you know we've gotten to this point where marvel can legitimately populate these books that celebrate uh you know characters with certain uh characteristics and backgrounds Mm -hmm. you know they can they can populate them with a good number of characters it's not just some you know ham-handed we're just gonna grab all of the asian characters (laughs) and stick them on a cover is everybody we got see see uh agent 70's previous dig at these at uh at uh dc's uh offering what was a couple of weeks ago when uh, we talked about that i guess no, it's been like a month, but Has the point is because it was in the solicitations for Asian Heritage Month. So right, but I think uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But the point is, it's not that long ago. It's like let's say like a, like let's say within the last month, right? You know, roughly. So, uh, so yeah, you know, and you look at this character, you're just like, oh yeah, you know what? They have introduced some of these characters over time, mm-hmm. you know, and they've developed you know these characters um, who you know who are who are going to be. Um, you know, and and this is related to the next uh, uh, st- story, which I've got, which is uh, Marvel's Pride Month celebration continues with new covers by Phil Jimenez. So, in addition to Marvel's Voices Pride Number One, Marvel Comics will commemorate Pride Month this year with a new series of stunning variant covers by legendary artist Phil Jimenez, spotlighting Marvel's growing LGBTQ plus pop uh, representation. Marvel's Pride Month variant covers will feature some of Marvel's most popular LGBTQ plus heroes, including Wiccan, North Star, Mystique, and more. These stunning depictions will proudly adorn the covers of your favorite Marvel titles throughout the month of June. If you look at uh, the screen, there are four Pride Month variant covers being shown featuring one Iceman, uh, America Chavez, Dokken, and North Star. Mm-hmm. There you go. Again, if you're not watching the video, you should. The video uh, version of the program, you should sometimes. Um, 
next time. And remember to hit like and subscribe. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Marvel's newest Captain America is an LGBTQ plus activist. Oh, you should have seen the vitriol that came out when people didn't read the actual article on this oh, one. Oh, I don't doubt it at all. Um, the United States of Captain America, the Marvel Comics planned celebration of Captain America's debut 80 years ago in 1941's uh, Captain America Comics number one, when it introduced several new heroes, all of whom are influenced by the legacy of Captain Marvel. Uh, in the United States of Captain Marvel, oh, excuse me, in Captain America, Steve Rogers, John Walker... Uh, why did John Walker get before Sam or Bucky in this case? Anyway, uh, Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes will team up to probably time wise. It's probably listed in 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 in, uh, in, in order, but then Sam was actually cap but, after Bucky, so that doesn't right. make any sense so, either. Yeah, no, that doesn't that doesn't fly. Um, but anyway, we'll team up to retrieve the stolen shield of Captain America. The four heroes will embark on a road trip during which they'll meet local heroes inspired by the legacy of Captain America to defend their own communities. Uh, the first of the five-part series will contain a backstory including, excuse me, introducing Aaron Fisher, uh, created by writer Joshua Trujillo and artist uh, Jan Balzadua. I knew you have pronounced it before and I totally forgot how you pronounce it, but... Uh, Basil Duo. Basil Duo? Basil Duo. Is it Basil Duo? Okay. Uh, I mean, that's how I've pronounced it. I, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it could be Basil Duo for all I know. Gotcha. Uh, Fisher, an openly gay hero, is described as, quote, the Captain America of the railways, uh, protecting some of the most marginalized people in society. And uh, it says here that in each issue, uh, Cantwell and Eaglesham, that's uh, Christopher Cantwell and Dale Eaglesham, will be joined by a diverse lineup of all-star talent to introduce these new shield bearers and expand on their origins and motivations in thrilling backup tales, uh, reads Marvel's reveal of the publisher's newest hero, Aaron Fisher. Uh, let see. The double-fucking exploration of Captain America's impact will kick off with writer Joshua Trujillo and uh, artist Jan uh, Baldazua. Bazaldua and the APU again the, the debut of Aaron Fisher, the Captain America of the Railways. So Yeah, and that is coming out um well I guess oh, June second. Which also um uh, yeah, I was going to say something about June uh, July's uh, solicitation which we normally would have had by now, but I'm not sure um, why we dab it, but this is coming out in June, so it doesn't really matter. Next up, though. I was about to say the solicitors are coming out super soon. Because yes, when I say super soon. Would, right, because they would come, and it sometimes even depends, because like sometimes DC will put those out before now, or in Marvel to get those out a little later, sometimes back and forth, sometimes it depends. Usually in the middle of the month, folks, for folks that didn't know. Right. Is when right. the reason why, yeah, the out. reason why I say super soon is because it seems like we're starting to get news about stuff right. that's that's going to be coming out in those solicitations so right. expect that probably early next that. week right so but anyway next up Alrighty, next up uh in news that's not a surprise because we've been wondering what was happening here mm-hmm. um ta Coates is set to conclude his captain america run in june the writer's tenure on the series will conclude with captain america number 30 marvel announced that um uh he's going to uh end his run 
with issue number 30, concluding the All Die Young storyline. Um, wrapping up his other mar- recent Marvel book, uh, he, uh, Tanasi Coates recently wrapped up his five-year run writing uh, Black Panther, uh, not to uh, relatively... Oh, actually, he's wrapping it up he's now. It's already done. Right. It's just being published late. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, Marvel announced uh, in... Uh, the announcement was this, this, this uh, oh it's just the announcement that Marvel made right. um Tom Brevoort. I was looking to see if it was uh, on Twitter or Instagram but it's actually a lengthy so it's probably neither um so yeah Tom Brevoort uh uh, uh issued a, a a a good statement um and uh Coates is no longer writing any comics for Marvel so he's got plenty of free time to work on a recently announced project for the distinguished competition the screenplay he's writing for the JJ Abrams produced Superman film okay which we and I think we talked about like uh last week or something like that that's rumored or maybe may or not be rumored but definitely it's been out there Right, and what's funny is that this is news that we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, because we were kind of wondering, like, when, because obviously the announcement of, like, his run, and the, him and his run on Black Panther came well before now, so we were kind of wondering even then, it was like, well, you know, there was nothing announced about him leaving Captain America, but we kind of wondered if that was going to be the case or not, and here we go. Right, but he's put in, you know, he put in a good, you know, that's, oh, yeah. 30, you know, 30 issues is nothing to sneeze at. Totally. Uh, for yeah, for for Black Panther, um, like uh, it's been no, I'm no for cap, cap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just for ca- just on a cap run alone, thirty actually, issues yeah, been more for Black Panther at all, right? Because it was actually more for Black Panther. Oh, way more because he had two runs, right? So, and if you're watching the video, you can see the cover uh, of the thirtieth issue right there by one Alex Ross. Um, there you go. Next up. Marvel switches up artists on Iron Man number eight. So Star Wars artist Angel uh, Unzetta is taking over drawing duties on Marvel Comics' Iron Man with number eight. Excuse me. Uh, Unzetta is replacing Juan Cabal, who is solicited as a guest artist after the first seven issues were drawn by Kafu. And every time I hear Kafu, I keep thinking, uh, ah, cool. Yeah. You know. Jack, folks. Anyway, uh, Tony Stark has vanished in the middle of outer space. We kind of sort of talked about it earlier because this is when that uh, this is the next issue coming. But anyway, the publisher has not given a reason for this change, and Cabal and has and Cabal has no other announced books for April or May of this year. Uh, Cabal recently finished up his run on Guardians of the Galaxy with his final issue going on sale March 24th. Cabal is one of the several creators who have signed on an exclusive contract with Marvel and is one of Marvel's Stormbreaker uh, artists. See, Angel Unzetta has drawn the main Star Wars comic as well as the Poe Dameron series, which I thought, well, Noto was doing that, so he must have done some stuff on that I don't really remember anyway previous to that he has drawn issues of Captain America Sam Wilson Teen Titans and Green Lantern Corps and of course uh, Iron Man number 8 is going on sale April 14th so and I'm assuming this this sounds like he's not taking over just just doing this one issue um so yeah next up all right, so this is uh, apropos to something I talked about earlier. 
Um, CBR has an exclusive look at the next cover and solicitation for Captain Marvel number 29 by Kelly Thompson and Jacopo Kamani, uh, which reveals Carol Danvers' new pairing, which is teased uh, here, but definitely revealed at the end of uh, issue 28, which I talked about earlier this evening or earlier in the show. Yeah. And you can see the cover for um, actually twenty seven, because this is actually two issues away. Right, you can see the cover for Captain America. Excuse me, cover. Why did I do that? Captain Marvel number twenty nine on your screen right now, uh, which is yeah, interesting. Uh, next up, though, Marvel announces Hulk spinoff Gamma Flight. Uh, on Monday, Marvel announced that Gamma Flight, the subdivision of Alpha Flight featuring an Immortal Hulk, is getting its own series in June. Uh, Immortal Hulk writer Al Ewing will team with Crystal Frazier, who's making her Marvel Comics debut in uh, Marvel Com- Marvel, excuse me, Marvel's Voices uh, Pride Number 1, and consulted on an earlier inter- issue of Immortal Hulk to write the series. Uh, they're working with artist... Uh, oh... For a minute, I thought Grand Land. Uh, they're, artists, they're working with artist Land Medina to bring Gamma Flight's next adventure to light. Uh, the team consists of allies and enemies left damaged by getting too close to the Hulk after being tasked with uh, taking in uh, unkillable Avenger. Uh, taking in the unkillable Avenger, excuse me. Uh, Puck, Absorbing Man, Titania, Doc Sasquatch, uh, Dr. Charlene McGowan, and Rick Jones. So from Marvel's press release, Gamma Flight had one job, find and stop the Hulk. But when push came to smash, uh, they sided with the Green Goliath. And the human world intends on to, intends to make them regret it. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, sounds like this is going to be something. So, next up. Alrighty. Uh, I just wanted to ask, are you interested in this, story, in this uh, series? Kinda, I a little bit actually. Um, I feel like I said last time we talked about a Moto Hulk. Was like I would be curious to, as the the goings on of this group. Once once a Mortal Hulk wraps. Yeah, well, yeah, especially then, yeah. Okay, um, but I don't. Right. Know I mean, how... I'm kind of standoffish about it, just because I'm like, eh, you know, these characters, you know. But it would be interesting to see how they meshed it. Right. Uh, so that's probably the team dynamic they're looking for yeah exactly and i mean and al ewan's writing it so you know if it, at the very least on that front it's it's probably going to be you know it's going to uh lengthen the immortal hulk story in some sort of way all right uh next up Next up, so uh, the Hellfire Gala debuts a new Krakoa team in Marvel's July X-Men solicit. So as I said, Marvel's putting out, you know, they're doing the slow roll of, uh, you know, July solicit news. Hmm. So we're probably going to get the complete solicitations coming up very shortly, probably early next week. So um, Marvel has been teasing a new X-Men Krakoa team roster for a while now. That included a fan voting campaign. The new team is... Did you vote in that campaign? I did. I did not. I forgot. (laughs) I apologize, folks. The new team is scheduled to debut at the much-hyped Hellfire Gala X-Event. So um, in the July X-Men solicits, 
um, uh, they variously, as Rodicat is scrolling through, they variously uh, tease what's going to happen at the um, Hellfire Gala, including, uh, you know, and, and uh, some folks have um, talked about some of the, uh, I guess, not costumes, but like formal wear or nightgowns or whatnot okay. that have been teased by Russell Dowderman, you know, designed by Russell Dowderman. I don't know if you have a, a story on that. I did see that in my social media feed. Um, I don't believe I do, but I do have the. But you can see, covers. right, you can see the, uh, the Emma Frost cover in this article. Mm-hmm. And it definitely feels like this is inspired by the Met Gala. And because we didn't have a Met Gala really this past year, it feels like this is uh, a, a nice little uh, substitute for it. You know, the the designs, the, the fashion design is going to be pretty uh, out there. Put it that way. Yeah. And who knew that the, this event is actually kind of sort of an event in the comic uh, comic book sense. <laughs> because, like, we, we knew about this, you know, before now, but we didn't think they were actually, you know, it was going to be a thing in a book. We didn't think they were making an event out of it. Um, which all of it's these like books a, are... Yeah, I was about to say, it seems like a mini crossover within the X-Books. Right. Well, another one, because we just got out of uh, X of Swords uh, not that long ago. So right, but I don't think this little... is going to be that long. I think it's like a month, you know, where yeah. all of them tie into the same story. Totally. But still, I mean, yeah, like I said, just, you know, but... Yeah. It's still a little mini event, but that's crossing over in all the books, which I, I suspect is probably going to be a thing at certain various points of the, in this uh, version. Which, I mean, it's not saying that this is the first time that's ever happened in one comic book series, much less X uh, history. So, right. it's not, you know, we're not trying to say anything bad about it, but just like, yeah, it's kind of close. <laughs> Especially with the other events we got going on, but it is contained here in a, in a in the thing, so you know, like I said, still kind of kind of scrolling through the the um, the stuff, the the uh, covers here, and there's a planet size one uh, for folks, mm-hmm. which some had noticed. Like, yeah, this this cover is made better because it doesn't have Emma on it, which I don't know. That was apparently someone who is not so much of a fan of Emma, and also probably the probably not a fan of the. Of the design, but all of those designs are Russell Dowderman's designs there on the on the cover. Well, no, they they specifically said uh, Emma, but yeah. You know, oh, really? Yeah. Well, no, but I'm saying the it's you know, but they're probably not a big fan of Emma's design with the uh, the what you want to call it, the thing on her head. Uh, no, like that. I think it was just Emma because they just was like nah, they just specifically called out the cover. Not it had nothing to do with the designs. It has just it had something to do with Emma. But okay, it's it's you know irrelevant. Um, but yeah, you can still see this. And there's also S Corp, X Corp. I think this is the new book that. Uh, yeah, X Corp number two. So the, that book would have started by that time, which mm-hmm. I totally forgot that that's a book that was still coming. <laughs> right. Uh, and also, you can see the sword one right there, the Way of X one, uh, book, which is the, the Nightcrawler book, Wolverine. And X-Factor, and I believe that's it. So, yeah, you can see all the designs there and everything, and it's, it's going to be an interesting time. Uh, next up, uh, Marvel launches an ongoing Predator title. 
So Sci-Fi Supposal Iconic Hunter has found new hunting grounds, the Marvel Universe. Uh, and yes, that's probably going to be a title at some point. <laughs> Predator hunts and kills the Marvel Universe at some point, I'm sure. Uh, Marvel Comics has announced a new ongoing Predator comic book series to debut this June. Uh, former Uncanny X-Men writer Ed Brisson is teaming up with Gail Walker uh, from Doctor Strange on this new series set just a few years in our future and in the continuity of the entire film series. Which, you know what, as, as writing goes, I guess Ed Brisson's probably the best one to do in this case, um, unless they were going to go out and find some whole new talent. Uh, Hunt, Kill, Repeat. In a new near future, a young girl sees her family slaughtered by the deadliest and most feared hunter in the universe, a predator. Uh, reads Marvel's description of Predator number one. Years later, though her ship is barely holding together and food is running short, uh, Theta won't start stalking, stop stalking the spaceways until the Yachja monster who killed her family is dead, or is she? And I'm almost fairly certain that uh, the Aliens license is being held elsewhere, so we cannot get any uh, Aliens vs. Predator books. Separate. What are you talking about? Marvel has both Aliens and Predator. Wait, do they now? Okay. Yeah. The comics license, at least, yeah. Right. Wait, because I thought... Oh, wait, because I'm thinking that the Aliens license was still over at... Um, nope. Dark Horse? Or Don't you remember they were doing the the, 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 the covers? I think they're going to be announcing a title as well. Right. Okay, so I, I stand corrected then. Okay, yeah, because I do remember there. Yeah, I do remember there was another franchise outside of Predator that they got, but I couldn't remember if it was Aliens or not. So I guess yeah, we say aliens. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, predator, there's the possibility of a crossover. Very, very. It's almost certain. Almost certain. Yes. And 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 congrats to Kev Walker for getting you know uh, this high profile gig. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Indeed, indeed. Uh, next up, though. Next up, Avengers, Spider-Man, Street Fighter, Star Wars, and more free comic book day silver titles have been announced, and DC is still absent. DC stays losing. Mm. Well, um, well, at, at at the time of this article, because there's an article and a couple of a couple of that may or may not. Oh, great! So, <laughs> so thirty eight titles have been announced for the silver line. Um, there's a whole slew of them on this article here, but uh, you know the ones that. Um, that uh, you know that that we recognize as well as uh, several from other uh, smaller publishing houses, but there's plenty out there to pique your interest. Right. In fact, to, just to kind of go on that note and take these next three because they're all pretty much related. Uh, Dark Horse has uh, its uh, Free Comic Book Day one with uh, Legend of Korra Avatar one. A book which is going to be on August 14th, and that's going to be by uh, Nadia Shamas, Sarah Alfagi, uh, and Savannah Ganachow. And the Legend of Chorus story show story will be brought to life by Kiku Hughes and Sam Beck. There's also going to be uh, some, well, there's going to be uh, Boom Studios uh, Free Comic Books Day uh, book with R.L. Stein which is called Just Beyond uh, Monstrosity 2021 Free Comic Book Day Special, uh, which is a free special issue from R.L. Stein, the, the award-winning best-selling. You know who R.L. Stein is. Goosebumps, Fear Street, yada, yada, yada. Artist Irene Flores, 
color, colorist uh, Joanna La Puente, and letterer Mike uh, Fiorentino. Set in the highly acclaimed middle school, middle grade uh, horror series Just Beyond, uh, soon to be released, soon to be able to show on Disney Plus, apparently. So there's that. But then there's also, I don't think there's anything in that office offering, but that's fine because we have supposedly the complete free comic book day of 2021 offerings uh, in the show notes, which now that I'm looking into this may or may not actually have any DC stuff in it also. Um, yep, totally not seeing any DC stuff. Um, but pretty much everything else. So yeah, if you're interested in pre free comic books, day stuff, um, then yeah, you can check out this list in the show notes and what agent 70 said probably still applies anyway. DC stays losing. Uh, Next up. Next up, a Mandalorian fan spends over $10,000 to build a life-sized Razor Crest replica. So, um, a diehard fan of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian spent $10,000 to build that life-sized replica of the Razor Crest. Um... The fan is located in, of all places, Siberia in Russia. So, um, so after fundraising online among other fans of the hit Star Wars series, Ayal Fedorov and a group of friends were able to put roughly $10,200 into building the replica in their hometown of Yakutsk, Siberia. Uh, in addition to the money that was donated, Fedorov also sold his car and used his own personal savings to build the 46-foot craft, which weighs over a ton. Uh, Roddy Cat, I'm sure, scrolling through photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is clear from the photos that an incredible amount of work went into the construction of the Razor Crest replica. And so far, the ship has been a very popular attraction with the Yakutsk locals. The fact that the ship is in Siberia adds to the replica's overall aesthetic as well, thanks to the region's notoriously frigid and isolated geographic makeup. That's wild. And there was that one episode in season two that they they were indeed trapped in ice, so hey, that would work. Right, right, right. They landed on the ice planet where uh, (laughs) they encountered Frog Lady. Yep. Indeed. (laughs) Yakutsk! As my friend Camry puts a nice emote in the chat, that's cute. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, that's that's dedication. Also, like <laughs> you, you 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 gave up your car for it and all that to, just for this. So it's, it's pretty hardcore. Pretty much, uh, Marvel's Avengers update will finally let you replay the campaign, which I feel like I I might have mentioned this last week. Um, but yeah, there's a new update that is actually should be out at this point. Um, yeah, March 18th. So um, the players will be able to upgrade to the next generation consoles for free also with this update. And there's been made changes made to um, there's been XP changes made to the gameplay as well as being able to be able to um, replay the campaign, which I kind of surprised that you weren't able to now that I think about it. 
So there you go, folks. For anybody that's still playing Marvel Avengers, if I ever get me a PS5, I plan on actually playing it again because it was. As much as I hate to say it, because I know somebody will, will get get me on those, it was halfway unplayable. It was barely playable on the PS4. I enjoyed it, but it was also, you know, like I said, there were there were there were things. Next up, though. Alrighty, so uh, in Marvel Legends news, um, Marvel fans that are big into Hasbro's Marvel Legends action figure line, are they talking to me? Might be interested to know that a mystery release has popped up for pre-order on Amazon for $59.99 at the time of the writing. The only hint about the release is the title Marvel MVL Legends Infinity 10 AVN 4. This points to an Avengers Endgame related release and the price indicates that a two-pack set is a definite possibility but anything can happen. Fun! I click on these links and it says, sorry, we couldn't find that page. Yeah. So, either they were a little, um... A little, quick uh, on the gun, yeah. Yeah. Quick on the trigger. Mm-hmm. With that, or somebody noted it and was like, we need to take it off until we're ready. Yep. <laughs> so, who's to say, but stay tuned, because I'm pretty sure when we figure, when we find out, we'll let y'all know. Um, Hasbro's Kenner Classics uh, releases real Ghostbusters Ecto-1 and Fearsome Flush. So Hasbro has recently announced a trio of new collectibles uh, inspired by the iconic uh, Ecto-1 Ghostbusters Hunting Mobile and two fan-favorite ghosts, Bug-Eye and Fearsome Flush. They will be released as a part of Kenner Classic uh, line of Ghostbusters toys. The new Ecto-1 collectible from Hasbro is the latest in the series of Ecto-1-inspired toys released in the lead-up to Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is apparently still hitting theaters on June 11th. Um, And also reminds me of a Transformer uh, that I still have yet to track down. Uh, in relation to Ghostbusters. But regardless, you can see the pictures, you can see pictures of the Ecto-1 and the two ghosts uh, if you are watching the video. This thing, see the $49.99 is the date for the Ecto-1. And it looks like it's possibly a... Fourteen ninety nine for the two pack, I guess. If I read that right. So yeah, there you go. Ghostbusters stuff. You, what do you want? Next up. Next up, uh, Free Comic Book Day is proud to announce the upcoming release of this year's Free Comic Book Day previews exclusive collectible merchandise available during the event on Saturday, August 14th, 2021 at participating local comic shops. Playmates leads the way for Free Comic Book Day 2021 exclusive collectibles with their previews exclusive Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ninja Elite Series black and white four pack uh with the suggested retail price of $110. So this is kind of like a, uh, in between turtle set. It's kind of like the animated version of turtles, but in black and white, it's not like their true black and white, uh, version that they have done previously, but, uh, it's an interesting look. Uh, next up, uh, is something that caught my attention. And that is the, um, uh, the Mini Mates, the G.I. Joe, a real American hero Mini Mates box set. Right. This is running for twenty nine ninety nine, 
and it has Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Storm Shadow, and Cobra Commander. And these little mini mates are actually pretty. You know, these are kind of like the cla- the most classic versions of the characters. Which is sad, you know? considering they have a line of GI Joe actual uh, action figures out right now that are questionably um, quality in some right. cases. Right, but these mini mates, these are like the the real classic. You know, at least you know. I mean, I don't necessarily see Cobra Commander with a cape. You know, because we don't see him like that in the the cartoon so much but we definitely see it in the comics and the snake eyes is definitely comic inspired because of the way the uh the 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 blue highlights the black um uh costume mm-hmm. that's definitely comic inspired but uh that that is pretty cool and that may actually be something I'll look into getting cuz that's just really cool looking and um you know there's more um merchandise that's not pictured, but what what is pictured here is uh, some Spider Verse pins that uh, are going to run for forty dollars. Wow, hmm. that's expensive. I mean, pins are big business nowadays, so I'm not. It's a four piece. Yeah, it's a four piece enamel pin set. Yeah, so I'm kind of not so surprised by that, but you know, it's still a lot for pins. But there are <laughs> that market is out there. Um, so cool. Next up, a uh, new green book showcases black contributions to today's comic uh, business. Uh, in the Jim Crow era of 1940s and 50s, black, tra- black travelers around the United States relied on the green book, uh, researched and published by black writers to identify welcoming spaces in a hostile and segregated society. Now, through veteran, and also if you've seen Lovecraft Country, you've seen uh, that happen. I mean, you've seen example of that anyway um now through veterans of the comic books uh, business has created a modern day guide to the imaginary uh landscape of graphic storytelling called the access guide to the black comic book community 2021 uh, 2020 through 2021 uh designed to introduce new audiences to the world of comics by spotlighting the work of uh uh people by people of color creators uh publishers, events, and retailers. Excuse me, folks. <clears throat> the books start shipping to as of this, uh, actually, this, is, uh, this has been out for like a month. So this has been out since uh, February 17th. And I'm just coming across this. But, um, and it will be in, are pretty much already in comic shops. Uh, so, Ask your local comic shop if you're still going into one. The Access Guide is the brainchild of Demetrios uh, Fragascados, owner of Brooklyn's Anyone Comic Shop, who sees potential to get more people uh, from diverse backgrounds reading, enjoying, and participating in the fan culture. Uh, Fragascados recruited Joseph Illich, a longtime comic book comics executive and current editor of Heavy Metal, to help produce the project along with illustrator designer George Caramona. Uh, let's see, the third, excuse me. The guide covers scores of currently published titles from dozens of comic uh, imprints, ranging from The Big Two, Marvel and DC, to independent and crowdfunded books that might be harder to find on shelves of the average comic book store. Uh, it also offers publishers the opportunity to discuss their efforts to engage uh, diverse audiences and uh, include BIPOC uh, voices in the creative and business processes uh, highlight some of the min- minority owned comics 
retailers around the United States and promotes the dozen or so conventions, uh, events, and conferences focused on BIPOC content and blurred black nerd culture. Uh, one of which, one of which, BirdCon, by the way, is coming up in a couple of months. So, and I, sadly, I will not be in attendance, but I wish I was. Next up. I was going to add, uh, Demetrius is a pretty cool guy. I've met him a few times. Okay. Um, his comic book store, Anyone Comics in Brooklyn, is not super accessible to me. It's, you know, like it, it is. I can definitely get to it by uh, mass transportation and obviously driving. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not, you know, it's definitely not like a neighborhood comic book store for me. But um, it is well run. He is, you know, he's a former uh, Midtown Comics guy and he branched out to a part of Brooklyn that did not have any uh, pre existing comic book stores, which is cool. So definitely um, uh, helping out a community that didn't have the easiest access to comic book stores. So, and, uh, you know, his Greek last name is pretty hard, um, but it is uh, Fragiskatos. Okay, so uh, um, yeah, no, you, you you got it. It was you know it, it was it was good because it's not like one of the the, the crazier tongue twisters. Right. <laughs> there's right. there's definitely tongue twisters out there. Yeah, indeed. So, so that's cool. I might I might uh, end up checking this book out. I did not except the, the reason why I put this in here because I did not know of this previously, uh, and I just happened to come across this article recently. So and shout out to Joseph L. Illich. Um, right. Yeah, I was about to say Joe Illich. I know frequents this. This shop and the 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 comic book store that would technically be my um, my neighborhood uh, my local comic book shop my neighborhood comic shop uh, Bulletproof Comics. Nice. So I know that he is somewhere in my neck of the woods. <laughs> nice. All right. Nice Next up, uh, DC Comics has announced an anthology comic that will put its LGBTQIA plus characters in the spotlight. Titled DC Pride, the comic will span 80 pages and is set to launch on june 8th uh, in addition nine pride themed variant covers for some of dc's major characters will be appearing throughout june featuring the work of artists chris anka jen bartel stephen byrne paulina gocho etc etc um the first issue of dc pride will bring together characters such as batwoman renee montoya alan scott midnighter apollo extraño Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and John Constantine, and will also pay homage to DCTV by providing full-page profiles of the LGBTQIA plus characters from the shows and the actors behind them. So, uh, getting back to the, the the representation thing I brought up before, going through this character list, I'm like, oh, okay. So they have some, but they definitely benefited from uh, taking over Wildstorm. Because Midnighter yes. and Apollo came from there, mm-hmm. and then and, obviously a couple of the newer ones that are there, and you know that that are not there but uh, are in the universe now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, their DC's job uh, uh, with regards to representation in this case is only minimally better than its job with that uh, the Asian Heritage Month. But uh, that Asian Heritage Month was trash. So, and I guess worth noting if you didn't, folks didn't already know, this is the second book for Pride that DC has done. I believe the first one was technically not for Pride, but it kind of came off of the fact that the um, it was that Love Is Love anthology that I believe came after the um, the Florida shooting. 
a few years back. I can't remember. And it was a benefit for that, as opposed to just being for Pride Month, as in, in this one is. Um, but regardless, you know, it is the second one that is, uh, uh, you know, around Pride. So uh, let's see. And there's a bunch of covers in this article that you just saw me kind of scrolling to a little too fast for my for my benefit, but I'm scrolling back over them right now because um, there's also some variant covers that will appear in June uh, from various um, from various of the DC Comics line uh, in addition to this book. And see, when is that book again? When is this? June 8th is when uh, the DC Pride book uh, is going to launch, is going to come out. So cool. Uh, next up, excuse me, the nice house on the lake. DC announces black label horror series by Tinian the Fourth and Bueno. Uh, the, the nice house on the lake, a new twelve-issue creator-owned horror series written by James Tinian the Fourth and illustrated by uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno, uh, is coming to the DC black label this June. Per the Hollywood Reporter, the Nice House on the Lake is a uh, group of mostly 30-somethings invited to Sylvan Lake House uh, by a friend named Walter. Some have known him for since childhood, some since college, some from a party a new few months ago. He's a little odd, but after a year that everyone's had, people are already ready for an escape. Uh, the comic does not mention that uh, COVID-19 pandemic by name, though the Hollywood Reporter notes that it feels very current with the temperature checks and so, uh, social media connectivity. Uh, however, the group soon discovers that Walter is not who they thought he was and that the world has fallen into terrifying chaos and that they may never be able to leave. Um, which, again, also mirrors <laughs> the temperature in the outside world. Um... So yeah, as it is, um, as I've noted, it's a DC Black Label coming out this June, and there's the cover right there uh, for anyone is looking for that. Next up, next up, DC senior editor Chris Conroy is taking over management of the publisher's Black Label program. As part of this new position, he also oversees the Milestone and Sandman Universe pop-up imprints with a team that includes assistant editor Marquis Draper along with associate editors Andrea Shea and Maggie Howell. Chris Conroy is a 16-year veteran of DC, joining them back in 20, 2005 as editorial administration operations coordinator Yeesh, in their then New York City offices. He was promoted to a proper editorial position in 2008, moving up to the ranks uh, to senior editor in 2015, he moved to Cali as part of DC's relocation of its offices to Burbank. So I'm just congrats him then. Uh, DC Super Spies unite in new series by Bendis and Maleev. So the greatest super spies in the DC universe are joining forces in a new Checkmate series by writer Brian Michael Bendis, artist Alex Maleev, and colorist Dave Stewart. Uh, Bendis made the Checkman announcement on his Instagram account, sharing two covers for the espionage-themed series. Uh, the first cover by Maleev and Stewart features characters such as Lois Lane, Green Arrow, Question, Manhunter, Steve Trevor, and Mr. Bones standing on a chessboard while uh, an image of Superman hovers in the background. The second is a variant cover by Matt Taylor of the Emerald Archer. Uh, Bendis teases that uh, Checkmate has a new leader named Mr. King, 
with the series also introducing, quote-unquote, a new underworld assassin. So there's the first uh, cover there. There's the second one there. Uh, and let us move on. This is coming out in June. Next. All righty. Um, in time for Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary, DC Comics uh, announced the new six-issue anthology series starring the Amazon princess embellished in the color of her famous lasso. Um, that's why it's called Black and Gold. Um, and it's going to feature a variety of colors. Uh, covers, that is. Because um, I'm looking at this uh, this article. I guess it's going to... Um, cover several creators. It's going to be 40 pages. And it's going to go for $5.99. Uh, the, the article includes cover uh, uh four images of the cover of the variant covers mm-hmm. that's good actually these covers as uh, as i'm scrolling through them so that's cool um next up speaking of wonder woman wonder woman's 80th anniversary plans announced uh, includes a 100 page special um the wonder woman's 80th anniversary i can't remember actually if we talked about this last week or not i'm not sure if we did but uh the 80th anniversary celebrations have been announced to celebrate wonder woman's first appearance by dc uh warner brothers global grant brands and experiences uh and one media embracing the call to see the world through wonder woman's eyes and to believe in wonder the 80th anniversary celebration illuminates the superheroes timeless and relevant message of hope and empowerment read the official announcement uh, the campaign will cultivate with a worldwide celebration of Wonder Woman Day on October 21st. So, cool. Next up. I, Next up. Well, no, I'll uh, save that for later. Go ahead. What's up? No, I was, uh, I'll, I'll mention something later. <laughs> All right. In 2020, DC finally gives at least some people what they wanted. Um, <laughs> uh, what is the story? Um, okay, I'm looking at the article, and it's a little different from our recap here. Oh, I basically I, I cut out some of the middle part of that and just went to the meat of it. Okay, so later this year, DC is going to release Beast Boy Loves Raven. Uh, perhaps a pretty straightforward announcement of their relationship ever published. Um, Piccolo... Gabriel Piccolo. Who? Gabriel Piccolo. He's an artist. Uh, he's the one who did that Beast Boy. Um, so Gabriel Piccolo is, a, is an artist who um, basically, um, if you see the art that's on this on, on this article, he was putting out pictures of, of this art uh, of Beast Boy and Raven as a teen. And I love his art. His art is great. Uh, which got him noticed with, uh, and obviously he's one that ships uh, Beast Boy and Raven, and he was posting them as teens, and that ended up, I believe, getting him the graphic novel, uh, um, which is, is uh, Teen Titans Beast Boy, which has already came out, but we didn't talk about it that much, um, which you know starts the both of them. So now they're getting another book, uh, and that's what this is talking about. And actually reteaming with, um, wait, is she reteaming with, um, Gabriel, uh, Cameron Garcia? I can't. 
But yeah, because they talk about that the first thing with the the, uh, the Beast Boy graphic novel. Uh, but it says here that yeah, DC will release uh, Beast Boy Loves Raven, um, as you just said, and um, he Gabriel Piccolo will be doing the art for that. Yeah, I was about to say that you know this article buries the lead. Um, yeah, because it kind of starts the, off talking about some other stuff. That's why I kind of cut out a lot of stuff. Like yeah, yeah, we know a lot of people like um, Raven and Beast Boy as a couple, and some of that, basically, this article kind of goes into, like, yeah, some of that was teased in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Well, Teen Titans Go more specifically, but definitely the Teen Titans animated stuff. So Right, I mean, at least he, you know, at least the, you know, he has to get over uh, Terra, you know, that's that's kind of, that's kind of... that's kind of uh, uh, kind of one of the founding storylines of Beast Boy as as a Titan. Right, but even so, before that, in the animated series, since anyway, that that, that that been teasing it even before and after that whole terror situation. I know, but I'm talking about like uh, you oh, know, yeah, like no. just comics and going right. forward. You know, yeah. like they have to get that out of the way um, because that's one of his kind of like foundational character arcs. Mm, I'm but, not you know, sure if they're doing here. Come a yes. long way. What's that? I don't know if they do that in here, still, but yes, I know what you're still, saying. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, in terms of the the character's development over you know various uh, points in his past, mm-hmm. um, at least since two, the the Teen Titan oh, days, um, they have to get past um, uh, Terra, and since that, you know, since that arc has been like redone to death. Um, you know, in the comics, I guess this seems like you know at least another progression for the two characters that is you know like 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 the article says is a little bit of fan service right sorry um yeah agreed so yeah like i said for those who um those who ship this couple actually i'm one of them I, i think they're it's fine it's cool um but it is canon now i guess so as opposed to, you know, people's wants. Next up, um, uh, the next Batman will explain why Tim Fox, a.k.a. Jace, changed his name. Uh, and this is an interview with uh, CBR with uh, writer John Whitley, Ridley. Uh, and that's about the, uh, the next Batman Second Son series, which is now... Um, which is going to, that, that I talked about earlier, basically, and that's still going. They hadn't still gotten to that point to where they've talked about why he changed his name. Um, but apparently, in this article with uh, in this interview with CBR, really was asked about Jason's name change and answered, "We will certainly get a much better sense of why, how, and when he changed his name from someone who was there when it happened." Uh, we may or may not get the full, complete story, though. But I will say that it's not haphazard. I'm not just making this up as I go along. Uh, Tim is a person who's going through a transformation. He looked at his past and decided he was not the same person. There's a couple of reasons why he chose that name specifically and what the change means to him. His reasons were very personal. So, yeah. And uh, really goes on to say some other stuff about this. But, you know. So, there you go. I'm glad we're finally actually going to get that. Um, I'm hoping we get a couple more answers to some other stuff, but I'm assuming that's going to bear out. Next up... In connection with a previous story, the series finale of DuckTales is going to lead into a new ongoing scripted podcast series for kids and families. 
originally titled This a Duckburg Life. It's a seven-part podcast and hosted by Huey Duck for Duckburg Public Radio. And it's going to be available every Monday following the premiere on Monday, March 29th, and highlights riveting stories from Duckburg. The DuckTales voice cast uh, seems to be reprising their roles in the podcast including David Tennant as Scrooge McDuck, Danny Putty as Huey, Ben Schwartz as Dewey, Bobby Moynihan as Louie, Kate McCucci as Webby Vanderquack, Becca Bennett as Launchpad McQuack, Tox Ola Gundoye as Mrs. Beakley, Jim Rash as Gyro Gearloose. I did not know that Gearloose was Gyro's last name. Mm-hmm. And Josh Brenner as Mark Beeks, Margot Martindale as Ma Beagle, and Disney legend Tom, Tony and Salmo as Donald Duck. Nice. Also, I want to say Mrs. Beakley in this show is kind of thick. Anyway, um, not to say she wasn't already, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's thing that's happening. Uh, let's see. Which and I'm very curious about what the story was behind the revelation from that earlier story. But anyway, um, the Pokemon Company announces Pikachu themed face masks. Uh, just in time for Pokemon's 25th anniversary, the Pokemon Company announces the release of some official Poke uh, Pikachu themed face coverings. So, yeah, uh, Pokemon has already started off 2021 incredibly strong, and yes, I can't wait for Pokemon Snap. Um, and there's a bunch of, bunch of stuff that's been going on this year, uh, including themed uh, Pokemon TCG booster set packs, a virtual Pokemon Day concert that uh, was headlined by Post Malone, uh, a recent viral McDonald's promotion that saw found scalping Pokemon cards. Yep, because I only got one thing, one set of those cards, and I'm not even a full set, and I'm mad about that. Anyway, um, fans have already received probably the most anticipated announcements late in December, and that's the the, uh, the announcements of a couple of new Pokemon video games, uh, such as uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. But all that to say is that, hey, they're adding to their repertoire with uh, Pikachu uh, face masks. As you can see in this post vid- uh, image, so there's like three different kinds. There's uh, you know the white, gray, and black, and they've got Pikachu on the on the sides of them. Uh, and let's see, you can get them on March 25th. Each set can be purchased from uh, Pokemon Center online for 32 bucks, which I feel like I've gotten a set of four um, masks. Now, granted, different type masks from the Disney Store for less, but that's beside the point because these are different type different these are differently shaped masks I don't know why that's a difference but there you go folks um also pokemon folks will pay out the nose for stuff next up one second i'm pulling up this story because i need to see when this book is out uh the first issue came out like last week um so technically spoilers Alright, so this is spoilers for God of War Falling God number one, which as Roddy Cat mentioned was published last week. So this is spoilers for anyone who is into this comic book series or this video games uh, uh, adapt, uh, adapted into comic book form. Uh, God of War Falling God number one hints at another um 
pantheon of gods. So when the newest God of War game released and was released in 2018, we've uh, fans found Kratos um, living in the realm of Norse mythology, and he made a new name for himself. But the game, a new life for himself. But the game never talks about how Kratos made it all the way there from Greece. But it's been resolved in a new comic, and that is God of War: Fallen God Number One. As I said, spoilers. It is uh, teased that. Uh, Kratos will meet other gods in his travels as he makes his way um, from Greece to, I guess, the Norse part of the mythology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which uh, kind of would be a bummer if they were like, nah, we're just not going to go here in video game form. We're just going to leave it to the comic book to, to, to go through this part of the thing and screw it. Um That'd be kind of a bummer because it's spoiler alert for it's the Egyptian gods that he meet he meets up with. Uh, whether he does anything to them or with them, you know, I haven't read this issue, um, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, there you go. It's out there. Uh, see the green, the new Green Ranger's identity reveals a power, a dark power coin secret, and this is spoilers for Mighty Morphin uh, number five. Which I believe is already out, now that I think about it. Uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers have been living in an increasingly threatening situation in the last few months, each more shocking and delayed than the last. The most recent string of horrors has resulted in the city of Atrial Grove being taken from them. Not only have they lost their homeland, hometown, but their most valuable ally, the new Green Ranger, has been trapped inside of it uh, with little chance of survival. And as with uh, Mighty Morphin number five suggests, the newest Green Ranger may be one of the strongest yet, but he might not have uh, control over his powers. And it is the person that I thought it would have been in the first place, which is uh, if you've read the, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series in the when it first started, there was a somebody who was previously less known, let's say, in the annals of um, Power Rangers, uh, the the show. And actually, I'm not even sure if he even showed up on the extra show. It might have been in the pilot that was never uh, the unreleased pilot. But regardless, um, the new Power Ranger is someone known to them and not surprising to me since I had, do remember reading that book. Uh, and then it just goes on from there. So, next up. Mm, that's, that's it. That's it. Yes. Folks, we are at the end of the road. And can't let go. Okay. Apparently let go, I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> so, yeah, we are here at the end of the show. But first, before we end this all off, we got another ad read. Our last ad read of the night is for Blue Apron. Uh, fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. You on mute, Roddy Cat? 
I forgot to take myself off mute. There we go. So we are at the end of another uh, exciting episode of the Gumbo Chronicles. Thank you, Jennifer, one of you folks for coming through, uh, whether in audio and video form. We appreciate you lots. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of this here podcast, as I'm probably going to say again in a minute. But first, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at Newsnet's Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Uh, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, popculturenet on Twitter, popculturenetwork.com, and all those umbrella sites therein. Also, possibly maybe uh, that Vine replacement bite under comic reviews, no vowels. Tim, D O G G 98 on Twitter. You can, uh, the, the Osiris that this is, you can also find him at. Um, CB Cron, which is the Combo Chronicles uh, uh, Twitter account. You can also find him at the Click Nation. That's D K L I Q N A T I O N on Twitter. You can also find him at uh, Combo Book Resources, where he's over there writing his face off. You can find this here podcast on uh, the Coast of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast on your podcast for some place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And you can also find this podcast, uh, find us here recording every week, Thursday nights, 9.30-ish p.m. Uh, on either youtube.com slash theclicknation or twitch.tv slash uh, Cumber Chronicles. Uh, and that's really, thank you for the new followers and the people who have been in the chat tonight. And also, as Agent 70 will say, smash that like button. Yeah, no, click like and subscribe. Indeed. Um, but that's, that is that, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Like I said, Falcon and Witcher Soldier starts next week. Uh, so we will definitely be talking about the first episode of that. Um, also the, um, the much talked about somewhat jokingly. So actually off jokingly. So by us, uh, Snyder cut is all out on HBO max. Um, maybe next week we'll also maybe briefly talk about that. Once we've watched it all, I, I can safely say that I watched like an hour of it already. And as much as I, I hate to say it, I'm probably going to watch the rest of it. Because nah. it was interesting the stuff they added to it. it. Didn't didn't seem like much has been left on the cutting room floor on this one, but who's to say? But it's also stuff that kind of adds a little bit more to what possibly was missing. Four hours worth, I don't know, but we'll, we'll see next week, won't we? Uh, but that being said, this has been the Cumberbund Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. Wakanda forever! Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your ear?